Welcome into the 334 Sports Podcast. I am your host, Colbjorn Birch. I'm alongside me today. We have two very special guests here from the 3304 Sports uh, pro, uh, Program alongside us here with uh, returning uh, guest host here, Nels Williams, and first time in Nick Royden. Gentlemen, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, man. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty well. How about you, Nels? I'm doing great, and thanks for having me back on the pod. It's a pleasure to be here. Of course, and it's a pleasure to have you all both. Um, now, last week, I don't know if you guys were able to catch this with Ashan and I, uh, in which, again, thanks to Ashan for being able to fill in last week. Um, we had a little bit of an interesting start to the show as we're getting into that time of season. And it was a little bit of a Christmas music debate that came up in the uh, Virginia Tech comms department, uh, whether, you know, you should be listening to Christmas music right after Halloween or whether you should be listening to Christmas music like just the week of and everything kind of in between. It was a pretty heated debate. So I just want to start off quickly with y'all. Um, the listeners have heard uh, my feeling on it and Deshaun's feeling and Dan's feeling, but now we want to hear your feelings. Uh, so uh, Nels and Nick, whichever one of y'all want to start off, when should we start listening to Christmas music? You know, uh, I don't know. I feel like it shouldn't be right after Halloween. I feel like it's it's way too soon to start turning on the Christmas music. And, you know, you hear Mariah Carey playing. I feel, like it's, I feel like it's a bit too much. I say like halfway through November, you know, towards the end, after Thanksgiving. I feel like it's a pretty respectful time. What about you, Nels? So I will not lie. I've actually started to listen to Christmas music here and there. Um, I'm not one of those guys who immediately jumps onto the Christmas playlist as soon as the clock strikes midnight on Halloween. But uh, I have been listening to some Christmas music here and there. I have not touched Mariah Carey whatsoever, though. All I want for Christmas was you. I already know that I'm going to be hearing that song a lot in retail stores just throughout. But I've been listening to, you know, a mix of uh, Last Christmas by Wham, Wonderful Christmas Time by Paul McCartney, and, uh, you know, uh, just, some, just some other songs as well. But I, I, I haven't really been pumping the playlist too much. It's just, when you, if you ask me, like, any time during November is fine, but as long as you're not just playing it over and over and over again, especially before Thanksgiving, it's fine by me. Sometimes, you know, you just really got to get into the spirit and really got to remind yourself that Christmas is coming in a lot sooner. And if you're still just struggling through finals or exams or just, you know, you're, you're, you're crawling towards the finish line, then uh, mm -hmm. sometimes it's nice knowing that Christmas break is coming a lot sooner than you think. Nels, that's actually like basically the exact answer I gave last week. So I, I, I definitely respect that, of course, and that. Uh, Nick, actually, ironically, your answer also kind of lined up with Ishan's, uh, because Ishan even last week was saying to like not start it until like when December hits, and then uh, he and I came to a compromise, and it's like, all right, well, how about like just after Thanksgiving or like Thanksgiving week? And he's like, yeah, I can do that. So y'all both kind of hitting territories that we hit last week. So looks like we're getting a little bit of a universal opinion here, at least a universal split. So I'm definitely enjoying that. Uh, and yeah, I myself have been listening to Christmas music. I definitely have been listening even this week. Uh, an interesting thing is I found a lo-fi Christmas thing. So it's kind of like gaming escalated. And that's, that's been interesting, like that and jazz and whatnot. So I like listening to that stuff, kind of cool and like, almost like a peaceful thing to listen to uh, when you're sitting in the background. Now, moving on from that, something that's definitely not going to be cool or peaceful for any of us to talk about is the most recent committee rankings. Uh, the first one was definitely a little bit of a, a heated debate for Dan and I not being uh, happy with where some of the teams fell. But after a very uh, upset-filled weekend of college football, the list has now changed again, 
with some pretty uh, pretty bold takes by the committee. Uh, I will say the top five isn't too surprising. After Michigan State lost, they just shifted everyone else up one. That was below them. That made sense. But otherwise, some bold takes that, were, uh, that occurred was, of course, Michigan State is now below Michigan. Uh, and then you had, you know, not as big of a move up for A&M as you would have expected. Maybe not as far of a fall down for Wake as you would have expected. Auburn and, some, uh, and then some other teams that weren't ranked getting in there now. Purdue's now number 19. Utah finally back in for the committee at 23. Utah at 24. Arkansas at 25. Uh, we'll start off here with Nels for this question. Uh, what is something from the, like, what, what's your reaction to this list? Is there any, it was it a good list. Was it, was there anything heinous in it? So honestly, I'm not a fan of this list. I, I, my gripe with this list comes with the fact that the college football committee seems to be trying to justify Oregon at number three so hard when they do not even deserve to be within the top five or even the top 10. Yes, they're an eight and one team, but they are just so, so shaky. And in my opinion, the Pac-12 is one of the worst conferences in all of college football. If you ask me, the top four should be Georgia, Bama, Ohio State, and then perhaps Michigan State. And I do not think Cincinnati is in there either. It is a weird year, however, that Oklahoma is at number eight and that they're at nine and zero, and that each team has had one one loss and one, I guess you could say, quote unquote, quality quality loss which seems to be what the committee is kind of favoring towards this year. But right now it just doesn't really look like the committee knows what they want or what they want to do. They're trying to follow this narrative that, Oh, we want one team from each conference in the top four, but that narrative is shattered when you have both Georgia and Alabama and the sec, then Ohio state, and then Oregon and the PAC 12, which again, as I said, they do not deserve to be there at all. And then you also have, of course, the elephant in the room or the Bearcat, I guess you could say of Cincinnati. Cincinnati may be 9-0, and they are ranked number five, and they are a good football team, but because they're not in a Power 5 conference, I don't even think that they should be in the top 10 at all. Them just being there throws such a wrench in the entire plan of just the top 10 in all the bowl games, and they are just such an interesting gray area to the point where it, it kind of ruins, or I wouldn't say ruins college football, but it just makes things so much harder for no reason. And I think that they are only really there because, of course, they were ranked high again uh, at the beginning of this year, and they stayed 9-0. and So I personally am not a fan of it. I think that the college football committee is scrambling, and they're just hoping that all of the top five or top ten teams lose so chaos can ensue. But I, I, a lot to speak on. Nick, how are you feeling about it? I mean, I'm not going to lie. I do agree with you with the – with you on a lot of your points i'm i'm gonna say cincinnati i have a lot of mixed feelings as you do you know you you look at them they're in that conference and we look at their schedule you know they're playing you know Nate, like navy tulane tulsa south florida smu like these are teams that aren't really that good they're they don't pose a threat they're not any big teams that actually could like harm them like you said they kept on winning they're not a no now they're sitting there at five which is it's unusual and it's not something that I would expect them to be that high on. But my biggest feeling is, you know, Michigan above Michigan State. Everyone knows, in my in my opinion, that's a, for the media. In my opinion, I see that as a huge, you know, rile people up. That's going to get a lot of people, like, pissed off about it. I mean, a lot of people are already hot about this thing already. So when they see these kind of rankings, you see the way they are. It's, it's going to have a lot of mixed feelings with the public. And, you know, I, I agree with, you know, 
your take on the top five, I, I think Georgia, obviously, undisputed number one. I mean, unbelievable defense. Every guy on there is, you know, playing out of their minds. Alabama, for sure. Absolutely. Ohio State, Michigan. I, I don't know. Wake Forest, they've what? Beat two, two top five teams back-to-back? I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong. but No, they didn't beat two top five teams back-to-back. They've just kind of been consistently good. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Their they offense didn't lose, is they didn't lose a game until it. choking the North Carolina this weekend. Yeah, their offense has mainly been the best part about them this season. But continuing. Uh, to... Oh no! I mean, I don't know. I gotta say, I, I really agree with a lot of the points you make. I Cincinnati, I don't feel really strongly about. I just my main issue is Michigan, Michigan State, and I gotta say, uh, Michigan State, I think is better. That's my take. But I don't know. That's all. That's all I got for me, man. I got to say, though, if I were to choose between Oregon and Cincinnati, I do think that I would choose Cincinnati instead. Because if you look at Oregon's schedule, their biggest, biggest, biggest thing is that they've lost to Stanford. Stanford is not a great football team. They, they, they just aren't. And that 31 to 24 loss is just not that good of a look. And Oregon only plays so far one more top 25 team, which is Utah, two weeks from uh, next Saturday. And they're ranked 24th. While Cincinnati, on the other hand, they do have a quality win over Notre Dame, which that was a great game that they played. But the rest of their schedule isn't as strong, per se, because they are a group of five teams compared to the Pac-12. As they finish off the season playing Southern Florida, SMU, and e- ECU. And SMU was the only team that was a part of the top 25 that is now no longer ranked like that. So if I were to choose, I would definitely say Cincinnati and over Oregon. But even then, both of those teams do not deserve to be in the top five, top four, excuse me. I'm going to start off with definitely the easier point that I think we all agree on in consensus here, uh, though I don't think you explicitly said it, Nels, is that Michigan State should be ahead of Michigan. And I'm going to list out one thing in the committee as to why that is the case, period, end of story. And I'm very confused why the committee didn't do it other than trying to either rile up the media or, you know, they're, they're just Jim Harbaugh supporters. Oregon's over Ohio State, period. That, that's that's literally my only point. Oregon beat Ohio State week two this year. Thus, they're like, okay, Oregon's still over Ohio State. They beat them in in competition. They beat them at Ohio State. Give them, you know, give them the spot over them. Michigan State, legitimately a week ago, just beat Michigan. Now, it was the Kenneth Walker show, but it doesn't matter. They beat Michigan, period, and a story. The fact that you're not going to have Michigan State over Michigan, though they beat them, just like you, know, you have Oregon over Ohio State, though Ohio State is certainly the better team, is ridiculous to me. That's the first thing. The second thing is, is I know Dan and I, are, I would definitely be a little bit hurt about all the Cincinnati slander in here. Uh, we, we, we've been uh, avid supporters of Cincinnati throughout this whole season. Uh, I called in week two that Cincinnati was going to make the college football playoffs, and I'm still kind of crossing my fingers uh, in praying that that's going to be the case. I mean, they're just right there. Um, and I do 100% agree with you, Nels, on the Oregon out part of it, that I do think the Cincinnati is a better team than Oregon. But then you also said that Cincinnati is not a top 10 team, and that one kind of hurt. I was like, oh, oh man. Uh, I mean, I can see what you guys mean. I know it feels very divi- like, like, like weird this year because there's like – People that are on this spectrum now that like I keep learning week after week of it feels like there's a there's like some college football people that uh, are like Dan and I are like Cincinnati's a really good team. They've shown it over the past like few years uh, and they're a team that should be in. 
But then there's a lot of people, and honestly, it seems like more the majority now that are saying Cincinnati's not that good of a team. They haven't played that great of a schedule. Um, and that they shouldn't be, like, even inside the top five, which is just so odd to me, particularly when we've had so many years where we've talked about these power five, like, like these group five teams that, sh- like, uh, are, like, that's, like, oh, they should be in the top ten or uh, they should be making it, like, uh, what was it? The closest time that a group of five team uh, had to making it was, I think, Houston a few years ago or something like that. So ultimately, to me, I don't know where the conversation has changed on Cincinnati um, because I know it, it, it feels very split. I think even as Sean was on uh, Dan and I's side, but I know even a lot of people like in Discord and other chats that are against Cincinnati and uh, on Twitter. So I don't know. That's the weird part to me. Um, but I'm 100% on the train that Oregon should not be in there. Um, there's a lot of stuff. Uh, we Dan and I talked about on the Monday episode why Oregon should uh, like shouldn't be in there and why they're an overrated team. Um, and then we've also brought up points in the past. I know I brought up a lot of points of why Cincinnati is comparative to some of these teams above. Um, ultimately, I agree with Georgia and Alabama. I agree with Ohio State. Michigan, Michigan State makes no sense to me. And I personally wouldn't have Oregon in there, but with how the committee's having things right now, I guess it makes sense. Um, I don't think Oregon's going to be in there at the end of the season, though. I Like, these last three games on the schedule is going to be very interesting. So, beyond that, I mean, that's that's my take. I don't know if you guys have uh, – do you, do you guys think any of those top four teams are going to drop out? I think that if any team would be to drop out, it would obviously be Oregon, just off of strength, strength of schedule. And hopefully the committee wakes up and realizes that Michigan State, I do agree, should be ranked over Michigan. But the one thing that still stands out to me is what do you do with Oklahoma? Because they are 9-0, and they have had some close games. It seems as though every game is close, and it seems that Oklahoma barely edged out. But they are 9-0, and they are leading right now in the Big 12. And it just seems like they're kind of there. And the committee doesn't really know what to do with them. So I can see if Ohio bounces out and let's say some of Michigan or Michigan State loses their last game, I can see Oklahoma just slipping in, just getting their foot in the door and, and being oh, number absolutely. four. And then Cincinnati being number five. And if that happens, chaos will ensue. And college football, and I think all the trust in the committee, we throw it right out the window. And the narrative and the push to expand the playoff will be even more in the spotlight come the, uh, come the off season in college football. I mean, for someone who watches or, or like it was very least pays attention pretty avidly to the big 12. I will say this for you, Nels, uh, if you're looking at those last three games for Oklahoma, if they want to prove to the committee, like if, if that they should be in the college football playoffs, this is their time. They have two teams that are ranked inside the top 15 in Baylor and Oklahoma state, uh, both of those games away from home. And then they have the team that we all expected in the Big 12 to be the team right under them, the team to rival them for this year and go to the championship game again in Iowa State at home. So they've got three really rough opponents all in a row uh, to round out this year. So if Oklahoma wants to prove it, this is certainly the time. I'm just too nervous that I don't, I don't think they will. I think they have to, are bound to lose one of those games. They, they've, they've been bound to lose a game for so long, and they just haven't. They should have lost to Kansas State. They, the Texas, the, the Texas game, like they, they kind of scrapes that one away, like back. And that was all because of Caleb Williams and the energy he was able to put in that team. Kansas basically hang, hang the, the banner and the rafters that Kansas is beating Oklahoma for three quarters. 
Like, it, it's wild. This Oklahoma team's not great for specifically on the defensive side of the ball. That's really what's been killing them. And I don't know. I mean, that's why I talked about in the pod that I think Iowa State's the team to beat them. I think they have the best offensive three, or at least the most explosive. But all in all, they have a really hard schedule. And if they want to prove to the committee that they're in, this is the time. Those three games in the Big 12 championship, they get those four games won, and they win those pretty decisively, I think they sneak in. Otherwise, I mean, I don't know. I think they slip up the ball in those. I don't know. I got to say, for me, I don't know why. You know, I, I got to say, I, I'm rooting for Oklahoma in a way, for me. Because, you know, you, you see, you know, a couple of weeks ago, you got all the drama with uh, what Spencer Rattler. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he's losing it. You know, everybody wants him gone. You know, you see – all the headlines, all the people talking about him. And then, you know, in comes Caleb Williams. And it, it's somewhat, you know, a, I, I'd say like a saving grace. You know, he comes in, you know, he, he does a lot better. Than I feel like some people expect it. But like you said, and, you know, these last three games are going to be huge, you know, test for them. And I feel, for me, I feel like Baylor's going to give him a tough run. I don't know. You know, they got, what, mm-hmm. Iowa State there. You know, they got Oklahoma State. So they got – uh, you know, their last few games, like you said, I agree totally. It, it's a rough run. And if they can get through it, and like Nell said, just barely put their foot in the door, I, I'm rooting for them. I, I want them to make it far because, you know, you you see them just kind of totally do a 180 from where they were with Spencer. And now I, I just hope they take it the distance, man. I hope they take it the distance. Yeah, I mean, they legitimately have the rest of the top four in the Big 12 as their last three games. Like, the only team, like, just outside of that, like, at the halfway point is Kansas State. And, again, you know, I, I did predict at the beginning of the year that Kansas State was going to make a little bit more noise. I feel bad about that, but close. I mean, it's just – I didn't realize that Kansas State had a, a bad finish to the Big 12 last year. So, I digress how that got into Kansas State. But, uh, I, mean, if the, I mean, if that's it, I mean, we definitely have some points that we agree on, and definitely the Cincinnati point something we're, uh, we're going to have to keep looking to and – It'll be interesting because we'll talk on the Friday show about this again. Uh, so I think it'll be interesting to see the other perspectives on it as well. Uh, moving on from this, I know that uh, we have, as you guys know from listening over the summer, we have a very avid hockey fan here in our uh, in our host, that being Nels Williams. And Nels uh, reached out to me as we were setting up this episode for getting guest hosts and saying, I want to talk about hockey stuff so bad. I want to talk about Ovechkin. I want to talk about this trade. And I was already making a hockey question for you. So with that in mind, Nels, I wanted to ask you just a little bit of a, a brief summation here of five players and teams to watch out for in the NHL for this season. All right, so let me just preface. I was not as excited and I was not as avid approaching Colby Ron. I definitely do think he's, 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 he's exaggerating a little bit. But this NHL season is definitely shaping up to be one of the best so far, in my opinion. A lot of underdog teams and a lot of, I guess you could say, uh, historic teams are coming back and are really uh, coming off strong in the uh, crazy pandemic year that happened last year where it was a short 56 game season but I think that we should definitely start off with the uh, biggest news to come out and that one of the top five players to watch has got to be Jack Eichel. Jack Eichel is one of the best players in the NHL right now. Um, he was on the bench in Buffalo as he needed a special neck surgery to get but the Buffalo Sabres organization was not allowing him to get it so he was traded to the Vegas Golden Knights for Alec Tuck, or excuse me, Alex Tuck and a few of the draft picks and another AHL tier player. And in my opinion, the, the trade, although it wasn't that great, it was more of just Buffalo needing to get rid of him. And the crazier news to come out of it was that 
Jack actually approached the team and told him, told the team, and I quote, if I get this surgery, I will come back as a Buffalo Sabre. And they still would not allow him to get it. Now, I'm not a surgeon or anything. I'm not a neck specialist. I don't know much about it. But it, it was a very risky surgery to get. And the biggest thing surrounding it was that no NHL player had ever received it. He is slated to come back in February, and he does want to return for the Olympics. But right now, his main focus is on returning and playing for the Vegas Golden Knights, who, in my opinion, have one of the greatest rosters on paper now. They have Max Pacioretty. They have Robin Lanner. They have Chandler Stevenson. They have Alex Pietrangelo. They have so many good pieces and so many good players, and I cannot wait to watch this team play when Jack comes back. Now, another player that Colby mentioned that I was going to talk about is Alexander Ovechkin, the Russian machine. This guy is 36 years old, and he's still pumping out numbers like he's a rookie again. He leads the NHL in goals again. I believe he has 10 or 11 so far. I, I cannot remember the specific number off the top of my head. But he's playing with a fire under his butt, and he recently tied Brett Holt, uh, 741 all-time in goals, to be the fourth most uh, goal scorer in the NHL, only behind Yarmir Yager, Gordie Howe, and the great one, Wayne Gretzky. Ovechkin just won't slow down. I don't understand where this fire is coming from, and I hope that the production stays the same. But moving on to the next player, I've got to say, watch over Jordan. I got, I got one thing here for you, Nels, uh, on, on the Ovechkin staff for you. Uh, first of all, I mean, we, we know that the, the saying is Caps fans, Russian machine never breaks. So that that that's kind of why I think he's still going. But currently Ovechkin is the goal-scoring leader with 11 goals, and he's ahead of a couple Edmonton players, Leon Dreisettal and Connor McDavid. Dreisettal is 10, McDavid is 9. So that that's your goals and uh, a little bit of Ovechkin stuff for you. That's most of the, that's most of the hockey stuff I know because I'm a Caps fan, so. Yeah, and the craziest part about that is that Leon Dreisaitl, which it's Dreisaitl, not Dreisaitl. I'll give you, I'll give you points for at least trying to pronounce the German name. McDavid is arguably one of the greatest NHL players of all time. He's slated to put up around 170 points right now, and honestly, I think he reached 200. And the Oilers have a power play because of him that is 50 percent, which is just absurd. Most NHL teams clock between 20 mid 30 mid 30s percent. So moving on, though, and the third player to look out for is Jordan Everly of the Seattle Kraken. The Seattle Kraken are the NHL's newest team this year. Recently just uh, had their expansion draft over the summer with Jordan Everly being one of the main players, along with Yanni Gord from the Tampa Bay Lightning and Philip Grubauer, a former Washington Capital, coming from the Colorado Avalanche. Everly has seven goals in his last seven games scored. He's on a hot streak, although the Kraken are doing all right this year. But Jordan Everly is one of the high-flying offensive players. Another high-flying offensive player in just the NHL in general is Connor McDavid. Connor McDavid is the greatest player in the NHL. If you're going to do a fantasy hockey, you are drafting no other player number one overall than Connor McDavid. He is averaging one to two points a night, whether that's assists or whether that's absolutely beauties of, of goals. As in my opinion, he scored the greatest goal that I've ever that one of one of the greatest goals that I've seen is and probably the goal of the year against the New York Rangers recently that was plastered all over ESPN and Bleacher Report, which is crazy enough because they rarely ever cover hockey. But for those of you who aren't able to see it, he split four Rangers defensemen from the blue line, turned on the Jets, and beat the goaltender Igor Shesterkin to tie up the game at five and then win it six to five in overtime. Connor McDavid is one of the greatest players you're now watching. And unfortunately, although his career may be somewhat wasted in Edmonton, the Oilers are a team to watch, and I'll get to that later. Finally, the last player to watch is Troy Terry of the Anaheim Ducks. Troy Terry is probably not a name you've ever heard of before this, league, before this season, but he is currently riding a 12-game point streak 
and he has propelled the Anaheim Ducks into third place in the Pacific, just behind the aforementioned Oilers and the Pacific, and the Calgary Flames, excuse me. Troy Terry's been doing great, and the Anaheim Ducks are a young team that has Trevor Zegers and Jamie Drysdale, two of the USA Hockey's finest gentlemen, along with John Gibson, a fine goaltender in the net, and they could play spoiler this, this year as they're doing pretty well. And for the five teams, though, the Edmonton Oilers, I guess I'll touch on them a little bit more. They have the, they're an offensive juggernaut. They have Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, which are second and third in goal scored and in uh, goal scored, excuse me. And they also lead the league in, in assists the most point in most goals scored with the highest goal differential. They also have Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Warren Fogle, and Tyson Berry, who just provide for an absolutely elite power play. And as I mentioned before, 50%. In today's day and age in hockey, where it's a lot more skill-based and there's higher goaltending save percentages, is just absolutely unheard of. And if they can keep up this production and hopefully make it past the first or second round in the playoffs, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl will become household names. Now, on the other side of Alberta, which the Battle of Alberta is one of the greatest rivalries in hockey, is the Calgary Flames. The Flames uh, got me the Calgary Flames, and not a lot of people expect them to be that good this year, me being a part of them. But their resurgence, as they're currently second in the Pacific right now, Matthew Chuck, who was recently named the captain, excuse me, um, was not recently named the captain, that was his brother, Brady Chuck at the Ottawa Senators. Matthew Chuck and Johnny Goudreau, one of the hottest players in the league, and he currently has four shutouts as well. The Flames are reigniting the Battle of Alberta with the Oilers, which I think is before and it's going to be a very interesting race throughout the pacific division uh so far in this nhl season moving on to the third team to division is going to be the detroit red wings currently the red wings are second above tampa bay and toronto along with boston as well as single fifth now the red wings i didn't think the flames are going to get it all this season the red wings i i, I laughed them off i'm not going to lie they are coming back and they're due, they're red hot right now due to all of their rookies in Mo Sider and Lucas Raymond, along with the resurgence from Tyler Bertuzzi um, and stellar goaltending as well. Uh, just the Calgary Flames, just younger. Um, the Red Wings are currently uh, headed by Steve Eiserman, who built the Tampa Bay Lightning into the current team that they are now. And if this production keeps up and if these young guys do keep up, the Red Wings are back. Hockey Town is back. All right. Like the, the Red Wings, they're, you know, hockey, hockey's returning to Motown. That's all I got to say. So they're definitely a fun team to watch, a fun young team to watch. Anything can happen on any night. They can play spoiler. But the Red Wings, they may be back. The fourth team to watch, though, has got to be the New York Rangers. Again, another fun. A plethora of all stars in Artemi Panarin. Keandre Miller, goaltender Igor Shostorkin, and Norris winning defenseman Adam Fox, who recently got a fat paycheck of around $65 million for the next seven years of the New Yorker Rangers. He has been one of the greatest defense, offensive defensemen behind Kale McCarr of the Colorado Avalanche. He's just been absolutely stellar. And the Rangers are one of the teams that for a while now, people were kind of expecting them to get going. They had the First overall pick in Alexi Lafreniere, who's kind of gotten off to a slow start again this season, but better than his last, along with Capo Caco, who people are still, people, you know, and myself are still waiting for him to pick it up a little bit. But if he gets hot and the team gets hot, then the Rangers definitely will be a top. Who are not the 15 to watch. The 15 to watch and the final team to watch is currently leading the Atlantic division. 
the Panthers are just the Oilers, but in Florida, led by Alexander Barkov, Jonathan Huberdeau, and Anthony Duke right now. They are doing a spectacular job down there in a very competitive division. So the Florida Panthers are the final team to watch. They have been absolutely stellar this season. Before they played the Carolina Hurricanes, they were the last team in the league to have remained unbeaten in the regular season. And they are currently being led by Anthony Duclair, uh, Sergei Bobrovsky, Spencer Knight. Bobrovsky has been living up to his contract, which a lot of people laughed off and said that it was a joke. And Spencer Knight, the rookie last year, who came out of the playoffs against the Tampa Lightning has been stellar and it's easily one of the best one two goaltending performances in the league. The Panthers are definitely the high now, although they are on a two game losing streak, so they might be cooling off a little bit. But those are my top five teams, the top five players to definitely watch the NHL this season. So if you have ESPN Plus, you're able to watch all out of market games. So I would definitely say that this is the best year to get into hockey and you're missing. All right, so to go ahead, uh, and, and, and Nell's actually muted himself here. Trust me, this this isn't any uh, Pennsylvania backwoods uh, around the uh, June time. Uh, but just to recap here for you, Nell's, uh, if you if you are able to hear us, um, and hopefully things are going to start to get better a little bit here. Uh, your your top five teams, uh, because that's really where it started to cut a little bit. Uh, your top five teams, just to make sure, are uh, it's the Edmonton Oilers, Calgary Flames. Then you got the Florida Panthers, and then you got, I think, the Rangers, and then I'm forgetting that middle team. Uh, it may have been the King. It may have been Vegas. I think it was the Red Wings, right? It was the Red Wings. There you go. Uh, no, is that all right? Is that your five? <laughs> that is my five, yeah. That is your five. Awesome. Cool. And the, and uh, since Vegas wasn't in there, then Vegas is a little shout out. And obviously, of course, a little shout out to the Caps. But as you're saying, uh, uh, with the new ESPN deal, you can watch them all that on ESPN Plus. Um, if you if you guys are either, you know, interested in hockey, but have never really watched or you're a hockey fanatic and you don't know really where else to go. Uh, just kind of like with college basketball or other college sports uh, or, or even just pro sports, you can just check on ESPN and they might be offering it and you can even watch it on your phone or whatnot. So uh, with that, Nelson, is that everything that you had for hockey? Yeah, that's everything. And again, hockey is back on TNT and ESPN. So a lot more coverage and hopefully a lot of more people. Get oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, this is, yeah, sorry. I, I, I know I interrupted you a little bit there. We were starting to cut a little bit. But, again, no Pennsylvania backwoods uh, as, as we had with uh, Evan Hughes when we were able to luckily be able to catch him in June. So, uh, still, uh, appreciate all the hockey talk and appreciate all the information, obviously, Dan and I, and uh, I think even Nick uh, as well from what we've talked about are a little bit of a uh, hockey uh, – we're, we're a little bit uh, hockey – not we don't have hockey smarts that's the way to put it so with that in mind uh, appreciate you kind of being a little bit of our hockey expert here as we're going through um now to get into the bulk of this episode is this is the nfl episode of this podcast i do want to start off here with a uh, uh with a little bit of a fun question here 
I was able to notice um, in like a image that currently popped up is that guest hosts that come onto the Manning podcast seem to lose the next week uh, with the list of those uh, guests, including Travis Kelsey, Russell Wilson, Rob Gronkowski, uh, Matthew Stafford, and Tom Brady. So the question then is for you guys is, is what is starting to become this Manning curse real? And as Nels, you were having a little bit of uh, Wi-Fi struggles. We'll hopefully hope that your Wi-Fi kind of settles down a little bit here. We'll go ahead and start off with Nick. Uh, yeah, man. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think it's I think it's just a fun way for like players to just kind of like kick back and just like have fun. You know, you see like a lot of guys on there just they're kind of just being themselves. I mean, you're with the two Manning brothers. I mean, they're, they're real cool. I mean, Peyton's got a great sense of humor. You see them just kind of be themselves on there. And it's, it's nice to, you know, it's kind of rare. You see an NFL player, like, kind of like you get to like be in his own environment in like his own environment and just kind of like mellow out. I mean, you seen like what Marshawn Lynch rolled up there with three shots of Henny and bag of Skittles with him. But, you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's real. You know, I feel like, it, I mean, not to get too like, real and like statistical here but I mean it's I mean they go out and play their own game on Sundays and all, all that I think I think it's just kind of a fun way for them to relax I mean who knows it you know the Manning brothers could have an evil deal you know with the devil making sure that whoever gets on that podcast next loses but you know you never know you never know <laughs> and then how about you Nels You know, I got to admit, I got to agree that the Manning cast was something that I did not expect to be watching every week for Monday Night Football. But every time it's on, I've loved it. Um, I wouldn't really say that there's a curse per se. I just say that every team has had an extraordinarily bad luck, except for the Bills, who just sputtered on offense. Yeah. Hope to see more of what Eli and Peyton are doing. They're fluid together. You know, they're, they're, they are brothers. We Makes mm-hmm. a lot. Any cast definitely is uh, one of the best things to come out of sports production for the NFL this season, um, and I do hope to see it a lot more. Just hopefully next time. Uh, here, say that last part again, Nels. Hopefully next time. And uh, hopefully next time, Eli Manning realizes his mistake of flipping the bird and that, and that he can't really do that on national television. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely a lot of funny stuff that I've been able to catch with the uh, Manning cast. Unfortunately, I haven't caught too many of them. It's like I seem to like to study a lot at night, which honestly isn't great. I should probably be rather studying in the morning instead. But I will say this. I definitely agree with both of you. From what I've seen in the Manning cast, from the jokes that have come out of the Manning cast and everything, it seems like a really good fresh take on football. Uh, it's even something that we talked about in our 33 or 4 Slack to even get a little bit of meta here. Um, uh, it was something that we talked about after, like, I think the first week of football. Um, uh, our uh, faculty leader, Bill Roth, uh, you know, voice of Virginia Tech, or at least former voice of Virginia Tech, uh, was the one to really bring it up. And we all like it. I think it's unique. Um, but the one specific thing that I will say in regards to the curse itself is – I kind of think it is there. I think there's a little bit of a curse because if you think about something like the Madden stuff as well, like the Matt, like I think you guys would agree. The Madden cover curse is real period. Lamar Jackson had a horrible year last year, comparatively to the year prior. And now this year he's rocking out. And if you look at the Madden cover this year, now Tom Brady hasn't been doing horrible. 
but Patrick Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes has thrown like a pick in every single game this season. He's thrown like a pick, I think, in the last 16 games straight. And the Chiefs are five and four. So if, if, if I'm going to acknowledge the Madden curse as being real, the Madden cover curse, I've got to acknowledge the fact that I think that this is a real curse too. I, th- I think the Manning cast is a little bit of a curse. I guess we're going to have to see with the guests uh, who's next uh, because obviously, uh, though, I, I was a holdout for a while for the Peyton Manning being the GOAT. Uh, the, the true GOAT, I think, Tom Brady, um, definitely is not immune to it. So it's going to be interesting to see if someone can break it. Uh, it's definitely, to me, in my opinion, currently a curse. We'll see if it can be broken because it is still very young. Uh, to move on now, though, from a little bit more of a fun topic into the meat meat of games, uh, we're going to start off here with the uh, Browns versus the Bengals. Um, and the first thing we really want to talk about here of this game is has moving on from Odell made running Stefanski's offense easier or did it just finally kind of click again this week after not clicking for the past couple? And on top of that, to uh, add to that question, I wanted to also ask, uh, who will become the number two guy for uh, Baker? And I'm going to be asking uh, Nick this. I mean, you know, man, I mean, when you look at it, there's a there's a lot of drama. You know, there's a lot of drama with Odell Beckham. You know, his dad releases that video, you know, and, and Baker Mayfield even goes on to say, you know, hurt, no, surprised, yes. You know, you think that they have Jarvis Landry, Odell's teammate, you know, from LSU together. They have a great time, and you think it's going to be a great matchup. And then as, as time goes on, you kind of just see more and more that, they're okay, there's a lot of holes here. And I, I think there's been a lot of stuff there ever since he got there that he, you know, didn't really need. You know, last year when he tore his ACL in week seven, he, he kind of becomes like a non-factor. He only has 17 catches, 232 yards. He's not really there that much. And, you know um, – it, it, it's tough. It's tough because, you know, you see him in his New York Giants days. You know, he's, like, outstanding. You see him make ca- great catches every week. He and Eli are, you know, real, like, really good bond. And, you know, I, I think, you know, he leaves. You know, you see him leave. And, you know, Baker Mayfield, he still wins, I think. That was – I think they won this week, right? Yeah, yeah, they beat the Bengals. Okay, like, okay. I, I was just – I was reading for – I just got lost for a second, but yeah, I mean, you see Baker Mayfield go off. He's still doing good. He's still, he's still Baker. You know, there's nothing lost about him. Odell or not. I think that they're still able to run this offense. I think without Odell, they're still the Browns. They're still good. They have Jarvis Landry, you know, and he's, he's reliable, you know, Austin Hooper And you think, I thought he might be a bigger um, acquisition to them. I don't, I'm not downplaying Austin Hooper, but, you know, on the year, he only has, you know, 20 catches, 183 yards, a touchdown. I feel like he was doing a lot more when he was um, on the Falcons. But um, I'd say at number two, I'd say I would definitely have to be Donovan, Donovan Peoples-Jones. You know, he showed up big uh, with that huge touchdown catch, and he's been really reliable, i say. And, you know, he, he's asked what – he's done what they've asked him to do. He's, he's been there. And um, I don't know, maybe they drafted the speedster Anthony Swartz out of Auburn. You know, they have a lot of possible weapons for them to culture and grow. Um, they got Ryan Switzer from the Steelers. I mean, I'm talking about the depth deep in the backup guys. But, mm-hmm. I mean, if, if they're able to pull up somebody, I'd say Donovan Peoples or Austin Hooper. I'd like to see Austin Hooper get more involved. But um, I think I think Peoples-Jones is going to be 
hopefully a, a second option for them to him to get more touches to get more reps. But I think I, I think to sum it up, I think I think the Browns will be just fine. I think I think the Browns will be back to their winning ways soon and be able to carry on what they've been doing like they did last year, making it all the way. Yeah, I mean, when, when you look at it, obviously, on a one-game sample, you can really say – you can be of the opinion of, oh, yeah, no, obviously not having Odell is making this easier for Stefanski. But, I mean, granted as well, you've got to look at it the fact of um, Kareem Hunt's not there. And uh, they've Baker's been banged up. And even Odell was banged up before he left. So, I'm, I, I, I kind of tend to agree with you. I don't know if it's purely Odell's fault or anything like that. Um, maybe there's some behind-the-scenes issues that, you know, as we were seeing with what is, with his father posting the video and everything, like that like that week or, like, you know, the trade deadline week was really when that stuff was starting to leak out. And it's like, okay, there's an issue here that we didn't know of. Um, so I, I think that that could be a little bit of a concern. But overall, Stavansky running his offense, it feels like that hasn't been an issue. I think it's just overall that Stefanski was able to come up against the defense this week that he was able to run his offense against, and hopefully it's going to get them garner them the momentum that they need to move forward. Um, now with number two receivers, you also hit up a lot of names that I really like here to talk about Austin Hooper. He's not been great over the past couple of years and it feels bad because he was incredible in Atlanta. Um, it's just Cleveland's on a team to use tight ends, even before Stefanski, uh, Whatever that last, I don't remember the last coach. Yeah, no, David Kitchens. Uh, well, oh, like, okay. yeah, no. yeah, but it was like, I think Freddie Kitchens was their coach before that. Like, even oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Using tight ends. Cause I remember Njoku was one of their first round picks. Their coach got fired. And then I think you had Kitchens. Now you've had Stefanski over the last two years. And Njoku hasn't been used really by anybody uh, or like any like three coaches he's been under. under. But that's that's you know kind of translated to Austin Hooper though he was like a top four tight end <clears throat> like he he developed into that in Atlanta and I remember when I saw him moving to Cleveland just a couple of years ago I knew that that was going to be a mistake and it kind of has turned out to be that uh which is disappointing but I mean that's where I kind of feel like it looks like in Joku would probably even be more likely of the tight ends because it looks like he and Baker have that rapport is kind of built over the year years and like he's had two really big games with Baker. So I, I kind of feel like if any of the tight ends, it'd be that, but the two names that you specifically mentioned that I like really piqued my interest, which I completely agree with you on is Donovan people's Jones and Anthony Schwartz. Now, if I was to have, you, you know, my druthers, it would be Anthony Schwartz because Anthony Schwartz was really good when, Landry and uh, Odell were out in that first game of the season against the Chiefs. And uh, I I think he just hasn't been able to get the targets like really since that game. And I've really wanted to uh, see that. But uh, ever since, you know, ever since, uh, you know, he has eight receptions, 117 yards. Uh, I think most of this came against KC. I'm just trying to make sure I have that right. Yeah. KC, yeah. KC, he had three for 69. Uh, So, I mean, he, he did well. Um, but it does look like of the two that Donovan Peoples Jones is going to be the one to uh, take over. And he had a really huge catch. He had that 60 yarder. Then he had another 26 yarder. He kind of seems like he's going to become the deep man of the team, which is really what Donovan Peoples is, which yeah. is why I think he's going to become the number two is because he's going to like, I, I feel like Schwartz is someone that could kind of be a balanced guy. Peoples Jones, I think is kind of purely that deep man. Uh, not that he can't do other things, but just like with his speed and his height and 
uh, I think he can get a little bit of cash and traffic there. Uh, I, I just think that he's going to kind of develop into that number two to be a good pairing with uh, Landry. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm purely with you. I think Peoples-Jones is going to be that number two guy there for uh, uh, Cleveland moving forward. Though I will say my other number two is Kareem Hunt, but that's when he gets back. Like, he's, he's a favorite out of that backfield. It's the fancy loves good drawn-up stuff for him. So uh, that's definitely my, my view and uh, view on there. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, like, I think we're in complete agreement with each other. I mean, I think, I mean, people's gems, I mean, he's, I wouldn't say like, he's like a lot more experienced. I mean, he was drafted like what, like last year? I mean, yeah, second year, something like that. Yeah. He, but he has that extra year and that extra year is what matters. Uh, Anthony, oh, sure. a rookie. And, you know, like I said, I mean, they have a lot of room to grow. You know, they waited, they made it to what the, was it the, AFC. They, they made it to the, se- the semis and they lost to KC. Yeah, yeah. And that's the and, thing. Like, in, they, they, they've shown us with Baker Mayfield that it's a new and growing team to be excited about. And when you get exciting players that make big plays, that kind of makes it better. And I think Stefanski has grown an environment there that is all about getting everybody involved. And when you get everybody involved, it's it's – I think it's going to create a really good team chemistry that guys are going to be able to do really good in. Yeah. Yeah. And about and to say one thing. It's like, yeah. Oops. If I just had to say something about that, it's like the thing with Odo Beckham Jr. is that he is a diva. And he, I think he went to the Browns kind of expecting to be that number one wide receiver, that big guy, touchdown every game, 100 plus yards every game. But that just doesn't fit the fancy scheme, like Nick was saying. And I think now that Odell is gone and now that this literal parasite is off team, that offense is really going to flourish and Baker won't have to worry about having OBJ um, constantly screaming at him on the sideline saying, Hey man, I took the film. I was open, which I'm pretty sure it was his father or him or LeBron James. Someone out there uh, was saying, was talking about that. I don't think that Jarvis Landry though is the uh, wide receiver one that people are touting to be and that the Browns mm-hmm. offense will decline a little bit. But if Stefanski can really keep this kind of team mentality over eye mentality, then the Browns are once again, clear cut favorites. Um, especially when Kareem Hunt comes back. I, I yeah. completely agree. I completely agree. No, I'm definitely with that. I mean, that's what Stefanski showed in his first two years, which is why Baker Mayfield went from being uh, the, like that rookie of the year and then what his second year almost seeming like like a bust uh, when he was throwing like 40-plus targets or 40-plus attempts. And it was like, no, 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 no. Dial that back. You, you don't need to throw over 30 a game when you have two elite backs and two backs that I'd argue are top 10 in the NFL. Uh, so, yeah, with that fantasy system, that's how he really likes to run it. So, no, I mean, I'm, I'm in complete agreement with you. I mean, honestly, the biggest thing about this game is obviously I had those two questions, but the biggest thing about this game was like Cleveland's defense really showed up here. And that was an issue in the Los Angeles Chargers game. They didn't have their defense show up. And Denzel Ward came in and pulled off what a 99-yard pick six. And they're able to really get pressure on Joe Burrow. So it felt like their defense really came together against Cincinnati, you know, in Cincinnati. So that I think that's definitely a big thing to talk about. But I definitely want to touch up on that offensive points. And I think we're all kind of in agreement there. <clears throat> to move on to the next game of this weekend, they probably the biggest surprise of the weekend is the Denver Broncos. Well, actually, you know what? I think that's the second biggest surprise. And we'll talk more as to why. <laughs> But the question here, a couple of questions here after the Broncos is, is it safe to assume that the Broncos nightmare is a one-off for Dallas? And on the flip side of that, 
Um, is this a sign that Denver is a better team than we saw that lost uh, three weeks in a row before winning these last few against uh, the NFC least? Um, you know, I, I don't know. It's kind of, I guess I could say it, it's hopefully a both. I mean, I, you know, you always want to see like teams succeed, you know, um, with Dallas, you know, having Dak Prescott being like, you know, injured a lot, you know, not being able to play. I, I don't, what was the injury he sustained last year? Was it ACL or uh, I don't know what it was. It was something with that. I think, I think he like broke his ankle or something. Okay. Then yeah. yeah. So he's, he's been injured and you, it, you love to see them succeed and do well under him now, you know, they're, they were like five and one or something at, at one point. And then the Broncos at the start of the season, like, Oh, they're three, and zero, but they're, we know we, they could beat the bad teams, you know, they're jets, all of them, like they were blowing out all those guys. But when you look at them, they're not, they wasn't, they weren't facing threats and, you know, they, they lose three weeks in a row. It, it's definitely looking grim here in a way, but I'd say it is, I'd say it is. I think it was a surprise. I think, you know, Fangio's game plan was sound. You know, you also have to look at that, um, Dallas's receivers did not do Prescott any favors. If anybody watched that game, they could tell. I mean, it was butterfingers. I mean, they, they catch um, one Cowboy receiver dropped six passes, and, you know, most of them were, like, right on the numbers, right on the money, and they, they weren't bringing them in, simple, and they weren't bringing them in. Um, you know, their, their, their run defense are supposed to be uh, very good, and Denver ran all over them. They finished with a bit under, like, uh, about 200 yards, I think, you know, when you look at it, underdog on the road, right, your best friend is being low risk, you know, productive running game, giving the guy on the ball, low man wins. And that's exactly what they did. You know, they, it keeps your quarterback from taking chances. And I think the game plan in Denver was good. And I think that this win against a really good Dallas team gives them a confidence boost to kind of carry out throughout the season. And I feel like, I mean, it is, you know, week nine, it's, it's, it's a sketchy loss for the Cowboys, but, I'd kind of say, like, for them, it's kind of like, okay, this happens. Let's get back to what we were doing. Let's not focus on the losses, not focus on what happened and all the extra stuff. I think let's get back to our winning ways and let's get back to where we want to be more. Because if you harp on a loss to the Broncos too long, it'll eat at you. And if they can just move on from that and do better, I think they'll be fine. And I think the Broncos – will be able to succeed. You know, you know, you see a lot of their team blooming. You know, Tim Patrick, I I thought he was going to be gone at some point, but they kept him. Cortland Sutton proved to be good. Uh, they just have a lot of whip and weapons. And they have a, a really good return guy, uh, Kendall Hinton, Kendall Summer. Yeah, Kendall Hinton. Yeah, he, I, he's, I mean, he's a speed freak. I mean, I think that they'll be able – I think both teams will be able to move on and be able to do better because I like both teams. You know, ever since Peyton Manning left, Denver's been very boring to watch for me. Yeah. I, I mean, they've had what, Brock Osweiler, the Drew Locke experiment. They've not been very good to watch. They have Paxton I, Lynch, former uh, Fuente product. Yeah. Paxton Lynch, you know, you, you see those guys and – no. I agree. I, I think that – <laughs> yeah, it's, I think that honestly, um, if the Broncos had a better quarterback and let's say they do pick up Aaron Rodgers in the offseason, they would be one of the best teams in the NFL right now. I'm, I don't think they were ever close to getting him. But if they just had a better quarterback than Teddy Bridgewater, 
who, although everyone loves him, we all have to agree that he is not really a starting quarterback anymore. But I definitely do think that with, with the Broncos weapons and Judy, uh, Sutton, Gordon, Noah Fant, who's one of the top five tight ends in the league, then the Broncos offense would be a lot more potent than they currently are. Um, however, for the Cowboys, like you said, Nick, they just have to chalk this up that this was a trap game and move on. It happens to the best of the teams, except for the 07 Patriots, when that happened to them in the Super Bowl. And they need to look at this, say, okay, look, what did we do wrong? Don't panic. We're fine. We're still up top of the NFC East. We're doing fine. Let's move on. So on both sides of the ball, like I think it's, it's, a, it's a massive um, confidence booster for the Broncos because they can look at themselves and go, okay, we can turn ourselves around right now. We do have hope because it's also not just the fact that they beat the, uh, the Cowboys. It's the fact that the AFC West is kind of wide open right now. The Chargers continue to slump, although they did beat the Eagles this week. The Raiders, they keep releasing players, you know, with, with rugs and um, the other player who was released this week. And the Chiefs can't figure themselves out. Then if the Broncos do somehow click and come together and win these next few games, then perhaps they could even they could even play spoiler for the rest of the season. So there's a lot of implications to come from this game on the Broncos side. But if I'm Mike McCarthy, I have no worries. I'm just looking at what they did, what the Cowboys did wrong, and moving on to the next week. No, I'm. I mean, like, like you were saying. I mean, I completely agree. And I, I don't. I, I wouldn't say. I don't know about you, Nels. I wouldn't say that Bronco. The the Broncos are near a playoff team. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't say. I don't that, think that's, that's why. Yeah, I would. Yeah. I would. I, uh, so I wouldn't say they're a playoff team, but with how the AFC West has been shaping up and each team has been so shaky, I mean, the Chargers got off to a hot start, but then they lost two straight to the Ravens. Sure, the it's like it's the like Chiefs. anyone has a chance. I, I, yeah, I yeah it's like it's, it's no, more no, of anyone like, has a chance yeah. to the playoff, they're a playoff team. Um, sure, and I, it, yeah, it, it's like a crapshoot in a sense. I get what you mean. Um, I mean, to me, essentially, it's look at it like this. You, you mentioned a great uh, point here at the beginning of this, Nick, the fact that they beat three teams that they were kind of meant to beat uh in the jets and the giants and the jaguars um though granted you know the jaguars just coming off a win against the bills and in <laughs> other uh, craziness like the jets uh, beat the Bengals. but um nah i mean to me here one other thing that you can even point out is if you look at the schedule they've beat three teams in the nfc east so a little bit of a vengeance game here for philadelphia coming up this weekend to avenge the rest of his fallen uh teams whether they like them or not but no, I mean, I, I think when you're looking at this, uh, you you both have hit the nail on the head, uh, This, which is exactly what I thought this was for Dallas. This is just kind of one of those games that could be a trap game. Uh, one of those things that can just – it can eat away at you if you let it. Um, the Cowboys defense, I've said this on the podcast, has been surprisingly good this year. It wasn't anything that we really expected. And, you know, the, it, it, the Cowboys defense is here. Their offense is here. They're having a overall really good season, and every good team loses a couple of games. I mean, we we're all going to still consider the Bills. Uh, at least I assume we're all going to consider the Bills to still be a good team, and they lost a bad game. We all consider the Cardinals to be a good team. They lost a bad game to Green Bay. They should have won that game against Green Bay. It was really bad for them to lose that. So, good teams are going to lose unless you're the the Patriots when. You know, they lost in the Super Bowls, the helmet catch. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this is just one of those games that, as you guys said, Cowboys are going to have to shake it off. They're going to move on next week to a team that doesn't have that great of a defense. And 
their offense is, doesn't do as much as it should in some games when they lost to Carolina in the Atlanta Falcons. So I think uh, though the Falcons are a team that I mentioned could possibly hit the playoffs for the NFC with how kind of toss up it is at the wild card spot. Um, it's definitely a get right scenario for Dallas with the second game um, uh, at home. So I think that Dallas definitely has that opportunity. And then for Denver, this doesn't change anything to me uh, for how I view them. They've beat, uh, they beat Washington. Washington wasn't a good team and they have a very surprised win against or uh, very much surprised when against the Denver Broncos, but or, the, against the Dallas Cowboys, but just all in all, I need to see more from them. Um, I think even if they lose the Eagles, that's not the game I'm worried about. I need to see the Chargers beat the Chief, uh, beat, uh, I need to see the Broncos beat the Chargers at home um, and be com- at least competitive at Arrowhead. If they can do those two, then I'm going to start considering Denver back in the playoff conversation again. If they don't, I, I still can't consider it because that offense is so mediocre um, as it's kind of played throughout this season. And their defense is that is, is just as such, particularly after trading away Von Miller. So moving on here uh, now to uh, Nels, uh, get a good bit of a question in here. Uh, we're going to be talking about a little bit of this Atlanta game, uh, an amazing effort from the Falcons to come back towards the end. Uh, we wanted a little bit to, to give a little bit of a shout out to Cordell Patterson and what a revelation he's been this season. Something we talked about on the podcast before, but really Nels, the question I want to ask you is, is this a good win for the Atlanta Falcons? So I would have to say yes and no. Um, it did come down to the wire, and it was a great game to watch. Um, as you previously stated, Cordero Patterson and his reemergence in the season has been fun to watch. I've always thought he's a very fun player in the NFL to watch. Um, Matt Ryan played exceptionally well, threw for almost 300 passing yards with three TDs. He looked like he was balling out in his uh, near MVP season and when he was back in Boston College. But I would have to say no, this is not a good win for the Saints because – in my opinion, if the Saints were starting Jameis Winston and he didn't hurt himself, which I am very upset that he's out of the league as well because he was balling out the season, and they don't start Trevor Simeon instead, then I think that the Saints easily beat the Falcons. But the Saints, they're just trying to figure themselves out right now. And I think that the Falcons are riding on a hot streak. Um, Kyle Pitts has gotten a lot better, and their offense is slowly starting to uh, figure it out. And although they're nowhere near uh, a good team anymore, they, they are uh, playing decently. Um, I wanted to say, no, this is not a good win for the Falcons. If this was a normal Saints team and Jameis Winston was starting, then I think it's the Saints all day and the Saints will go marching in and defeat the Falcons. But it's still more of a good, feel-good story for Cordero Patterson, who has reemerged as um, just an absolute stud for the Falcons. Watching him play and be a hybrid kind of player for both running, running back and wide receiver for the Falcons has definitely been interesting to watch. And in my opinion, kind of alludes to where I think the NFL will go in the next five to ten years. And that it won't necessarily be about playing one position. It'll be more about playing two. Because if you have a guy like Patterson who can, who can run the ball as efficiently and as well as, he, as he's doing it now and also play wide receiver and be a wide receiver one as well, what's going to stop other teams from adopting that method? So overall, a good win for the Falcons. Um, well, not, not necessarily a good win for the Falcons. A win is a win, but not a good win per se. But if this was against a healthy Saints team um, and Jameis Winston was back in, then I think they would have beat the Falcons on this one. What I'm going to say is this, and it's going to be a surprise for um, other takes that I've had uh, on this type of stuff, 
If you look at the overall timeline of the game, of New Orleans having all their points in the second half, including having uh, 22 of their or yeah, 22 of their points in the uh, fourth quarter itself, um, including the go-ahead touchdown, uh, which then they failed the two-point, and then Young Koku was able to kick the field goal to win. Um, I'm actually going to say this is a good one. And the reason I say this is a good win is because outside of AJ Terrell having an incredible season, uh, he's not someone that's going to be talked about enough because Atlanta doesn't have a good defense. Um, outside of that, like the defense of Atlanta is dreadful right now. And it's something that needs to be rebuilt. And the sad news is this is probably not going to be rebuilt still here for at least another year or two because they are in an overall rebuilding process. So I wanted to look at this game and I want to take it from an offensive perspective and from an offensive perspective with no, with Noah Calvin Ridley and not really being able to decipher exactly who was going to be that number two receiver for the team overall throughout this season. And then other than Patterson being a revelation now that backfield and even be able to line up as a receiver as he's had a lot of experience with that. Um, you know, the, the Falcons were still able to pull through after losing the previous week to an in-division team uh, with a good defense. The Saints have a good defense. The Saints, I think we would all agree in here, have a top 10 defense. And the Panthers are starting to get to a point under Matt Rule to where you could argue that the Panthers have a top 10 defense. So after losing to one the week before, barely, they barely beat one this week, specifically in New Orleans. So I think that this is a good win for the Falcons. Um, it, it's able to put away kind of the demons that I saw coming out that closet uh, against Carolina, not being able to put up that performance. So now that they're able to do that uh, against New Orleans, maybe this will give them a little bit of confidence going to Dallas, give them confidence at home against um, the Patriots, maybe even give them a little bit of confidence against the Buccaneers who have had an absolutely decimated se uh, secondary this season. So I think it's something where the Falcons are just going to feel a little bit more of a boost of momentum. Um, you know, being able to su survive a big rivalry game again uh, without um, Calvin Ridley. And we'll see how this team keeps moving here from the season. Uh, the next question here, we're going to pop back over to Nick now. Uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about Giants Raiders. Was this more of a good win for the Giants or a disappointing loss for the Raiders? And to uh, add on top of that, um, with Henry Ruggs gone, who's going to take over as that number two guy in Las Vegas behind uh, Darren or behind Darren Waller? So, um, I know uh, Nels touched on it a little bit earlier, but, you know, like, obviously a lot of controversy surrounding around the Raiders right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, you know, rugs, that whole incident he gets, he got into, they, you know, that's, uh, yeah, it's dangerous waters. It's dangerous waters. And yep. uh, when you look at that and then no less than a couple of days later, they have, I think it, I think it might've been a cornerback or some guy, I don't know if he started, but, you know, he gets arrested too. Yeah, it's not it's not a good look. But and, and while they're undisputed number one now, he's been good. He's shown us that he's good, and he shows up every again. I think one guy that can step up behind him is Hunter Renfro. I mean, as old as they come and as reliable as they are, he is undisputed. I think he's really good. I think he's reliable. He's answered the bell. You know, there's a couple guys. Excuse me, um, Zay Jones. You know, he's bounced around a little bit, but. I think the Raiders utilize him well. I think they use a lot, utilize him very well. 
And, you know, they recently signed uh, the, the veteran, Deshaun Jackson, I think, mm-hmm. that they have a lot of I, – I would give it like a, a B-grade receiving course. It's not, it's not anything impressive, but they get the job done. I feel like Hunter Renfro needs to step up, and I think he will. I think he'll be there for Derek Carr. I think he'll be a good just kind of dump-off guy that you can get it to and he'll get it. And Zay Jones, he's – I think that – they all have – I think Renfro and Jones, I think, have room to grow. And I think Renfro is going to step up behind Waller, and I think Jones will maybe take some action. And Deshaun Jackson is a veteran. I think he can teach them the ropes a little bit, kind of like show them the way. I think it's a great addition to get Deshaun. But I kind of just want to touch on that first. But going into the, the game, um, I think it's a – I think it's a good win for a disappointing Giants team. I think – it's it's they've not I mean I don't know I got a lot of mixed feelings about Daniel Jones I don't think he's been the guy that um, New York wants him to be I think he's shown so I mean what I mean it was kind of it was made more of a meme but when he had that what like 60 yard run last year and or something like that it, yep. I, mean, I mean like he he'll have a good game and then just have three picks the next game it's it's about consistency and I think I think it's a good win for the Giants. I think it kind of boosts the confidence a little bit. You know, we always talk about confidence and momentum in any sport you play. And I feel like that gives them a, a little bit of a drive to get behind of. But it's also disappointing for the Raiders. I mean, just like the Broncos, they start off hot, 3-0, and then it kind of sputters out from there. And, you know, with all the things going on with Henry Ruggs and – all that, all the drama surrounding their players, you know, it's disappointing to have not one, not two, but three blows to them with losing two players and a game. So it's, it's tough. It's tough when you're in that situation. And when you dive into the numbers, the Giants defense really was there. They had what, three turnovers and the Raiders had 286 passing yards to the Giants 98. Like, the ball was hardly thrown, but they like, and they won 16-23. I mean, that for that for some reason blows my mind. And then New York beat them on the run, the run game too. It, it's just the defense showed up for the Giants. They toppled the Raiders, and I think it was just it was a good win for the Giants. I'm, they're they're not a playoff team, but it was a good win. It was a good sure. win, and I think it it hurts the Raiders. It hurts the Raiders a lot because they have all that going on and then to lose the game to none other than Daniel Jones and company. It's, it's tough. It's tough. I'd say the giants earned it. And for the Raiders, they're going to have to figure out where to go from here. There's one word that you mentioned in that, which is where, where I deciphered between this being a good win for the giants and a bad or a bad loss for the Raiders consistency. That's, that's the one thing where I completely agree. Whereas instead you mentioned it with New York, I have to mention it here with the Raiders. Um, the Raiders, as we all know, have had a crazy year this year. Um, we, Damon Arnett is cutting off the team. Uh, maybe he was the one that had the situation. I, I don't remember this other situation, but you know, overall, you have another bad situation coming out for the Raiders. You have the uh, situation with Rugs, and now he's going to go to jail. He's cut off the team. Um, you have the John Gruden emails and he his getting sacked after the like third game of the season. It's been a lot. It's like it's it's a lot for 
people to deal with. And like, I do have to say for the team as a whole, my concern for them uh, to even look a little bit past this game before I even look into it is that this could just be a breaking for morale and everything. The fact that you're losing to the Giants yeah. after everything that's kind of been happening, like this could be a thing where they are, they, they're just destroyed and like they could possibly lose their playoff chances like that it, because they, they just can't get that out of their heads. But to even specifically look at the game, after beating Denver uh, and Philadelphia um, pretty convincingly by multiple drives, this is a very disappointing loss for the Vegas Raiders. Uh, they're able to have, I mean, not too far off of triple the amount of passing yards that Daniel Jones had. Carr had 296. Jones had 110. Um, Jacobs and Chain and Drake were able to have decent performances. Uh, you even have uh, Darren Waller uh, having a good game coming back off of injury. But you're losing to a team that's on backups. Um, I don't know if Sterling Shepard was healthy. I haven't fully checked the box score. Um, but Katarius Tony is coming back off injury. If Valdez back, he's coming back off injury. Shepard played, he's coming back off injury. Saquon Barkley's still not even playing. You let De- Devin, uh, or yeah, it is uh, Devon Booker. You let Devon Booker or Devontae Booker run up a hun- almost 100 yards on you. Someone who couldn't even make it like in Denver when he was meant to be the chosen one uh, after, uh, gosh, who was it that left? Melvin, Melvin Gordon. No, nah, it, was, it wasn't Melvin. It was, it was, uh, God, it was that other guy who uh, went to Miami like straight after. Like he was really short. Philip Lindsay? Ah, no, no, no. It was it was even before him, but I, yeah, I, I, I digress. <laughs> yeah, I, I digress. He, he was a part of that Super Bowl winning team, uh, something like that. But like to lose to that team of like kind of like the, the Mary Band of Misfits on offense is just not acceptable. Um, and even if you look at the offensive side for the Raiders, they're only able to score one touchdown. After that, they only kicked a field goal in the uh, two in the second and one in the third. With how meth the Giants have been this year, that's not what you want. As I said, I'm concerned for the Raiders of that this loss could eat away at them. I'm a lot more concerned about this loss eating away at them than the Dallas Cowboys and that loss eating away at them, which is a little bit surprising seeing how the locker room of Dallas was uh, last year defensively. But... Yeah, I'm definitely worried for this team. And as you're looking at the number two receiving role, um, ironically, when you're looking at the stats for this season, it could even be a little bit of like a trick question. Hunter Renfro is that number two guy. Uh, He had the same amount of receptions as Darren Waller this year. He's had five more receptions than Darren Waller on the year. Granted, Darren Waller was out for like a game or two um, due to an ankle issue. But Hunter Renfro uh, definitely wouldn't be uh, happy about that little bit of old comment that you gave him. He's only 25. <laughs> but I just remember um, when he was at Clemson, people would just clown on him because he just he just looks oh, for a little, sure. Yeah, he, he doesn't look. He, I will say he doesn't look 25. Uh, but yeah, I mean, just the fact of he's tied for 19th in receptions in the league. Uh, he's tied for 34th in touchdowns with three. Uh, he's averaging a good bit of yards for someone who's like a slot receiver. Uh, he's been quietly one of Derek Carr's favorite options over like the, I think this is the, his third season on the team. Um, and which is why I was surprised when, you know, I don't know if you guys went through fantasy, but when I did fantasy, I still saw him being one of those low options. It's like, whoa, 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 hold on a little bit. Like Hunter Renfro is starting to get a lot of looks from Derek Carr. How is he, you know, behind Josh Reynolds? How is he behind this and that on fantasy? And yeah, they completely whiffed and, 
Hunter Renfro has been one of the focal points of this offense. And I think moving forward, he's going to be one of the focal points, particularly when, as you're looking to this coming week, you have the Chiefs who have been horrible in their secondary and they don't really have like a great slot quarter. Like obviously they traded uh, Kyle Fuller or, or they didn't trade Kyle Fuller. They lost Kyle Fuller and he went right back to Washington. So I think that in, in a league where I, I think that you, you have like those top end slot corners and then it kind of falls off in my opinion um, to have someone like Renfro uh, in a honestly relatively easy schedule moving forward. They still have a lot of teams in the NFC East to go. Um, I think that this is a chance for them to actually be able to do really well with Renfro. I think Renfro could have a really solid year. And I think that Renfro and Waller are an excellent pairing. All you need is that deep threat and adding Deshaun Jackson was a great, uh, great thing for them. But you're really more going to be looking towards Brian Edwards to step up now. Uh, kind of drafted, I think, essentially could fit that role. So, yeah, I mean, you and I uh, seem to agree a lot on this. And just hopefully for the Raiders as a team, as people, as an organization, that this loss isn't just eat at them. Yeah, without a doubt. To move on here in, in our uh, question list, we actually had a little bit of a split here with uh, uh, both these uh, guest hosts coming on. And you guys have both been great thus far, but we have a little bit of a a little bit of a streak here for Nels as we have some questions coming up now. Uh, we'll take a look at probably one of the more surprising results this weekend. I would say one of definitely three of them. Uh, that being the Jaguars beating the Bills. Uh, is this Jags loss for the Bills going to be a one-off uh, for Buffalo or is this something that's going to be a little bit more concerning, Nels? So I would definitely say that is a little bit concerning about how the fact that the Buffalo Bills, who are touted to be Super Bowl contenders and perhaps Super Bowl winners after the season, would lose to a team that is as bad and as much as a poverty franchise as the Jacksonville Jaguars. Jaguars year has been almost as bad as the Raiders in terms of controversy with Irvin Meyer um, going out to the bar and just a bunch of players um, reporting and leaking that he's kind of lost the locker room. Um, for the Bills, I will give them the benefit of the doubt. They had a bad O-line. Um, they are a little bit banged up on both sides of the ball. But I think their biggest issue is that they're simply just playing down to their competition. And I think that a little bit of it has gone to their heads in the fact that they um, their players are kind of like how um, players on the Texas football team, for college football kind of like where they feel really entitled. And they're like, oh, we know we're good. We don't really have to worry about it. Because the game against Miami wasn't that much of a statement win either. And the game against the Titan, Titans, they easily could have won it. Um, off of just multiple plays. So I do think it's a one-off, and I'd say that this is more of a wake-up call for the Bills itself, and um, hopefully that they, they can get uh, on the right track again because that was an ugly game. Every team has one of these games, and unfortunately, you just don't want it to be you. So I would definitely have to say that this is a one-off, and the Bills need to get their act together because losing to the Jacksonville Jaguars by a field goal, 9-6, to six, when you have Josh Allen, who's considered one of the top five quarterbacks in the league, is just pathetic and they need to figure it out. Yeah. I mean, I tend to agree. I think uh, definitely uh, lesser teams are not going to be able to put up uh, results like that on, on the Buffalo Bills for us this season. Uh, pray for any New York Jets fans. Uh, pray for Evan Hughes. I, I, I think the Bills are going to come with a vengeance in that game, but definitely when you look at the last two games against the Dolphins uh, and the Jaguars, not being able to shut out the Dolphins as you were in week two. And then even on top of that, uh, keeping that as a 15 point game wasn't a great look. And then obviously not being able to score a touchdown on one of the worst teams in the NFL isn't a great look. Um, 
But yeah, I think this is a one-off. And you know what? If the Bills want to, they can even put it on the fact that it was a curse. Josh Allen intercepted Josh Allen. Josh Allen also forced a fumble on Josh Allen to have a Josh Allen fumble recovery off of the Josh Allen fumble. So just just chalk Sick it up that five times in a row. Yeah, I mean, just chalk it up to the fact that you had a you know a, a Josh Allen stare off. Um, and as you said, also the facts that uh, this um, Buffalo team's a little bit banged up right now. Um, I will say it is a little bit concerning with some of the schedule that they have coming up. Uh, other than the Jets, they have the Colts, the Saints, the Patriots, and the Buccaneers. That's a really hard stretch of four games, if I'm going to be honest. Um, that does, I think, leave me a little bit concerned, but the game itself will probably be a one-off. I don't think they're, you're going to have another game where Buffalo's not going to score a touchdown. This is too good of a team, too good of an offense to do that. And, yeah, I mean, just as I said, pray for Jets. Pray for Jets fans. Uh, next question uh, here for you, Nels, is a little bit of a reaction on Stephen A's take on Lamar. I'll even specifically pull up the quote here that I was able to find. And do you believe that he's right on it? And on top of that, are Baltimore the clear favorites to win the AFC North after having a solid overtime win against the Minnesota Vikings from this past weekend? So you said you're going to list the quote. Are you going to uh, tell the listeners what, what exactly the quote was? Oh, you're right. I, I did say that. So as I was pulling it up, I do have it here for you. Uh, the specific uh, thing here, if you want to go on the first take Twitter, uh, it was posted around a day ago or so. Um, it says Stephen A is going to uh, Tom Brady over Lamar Jackson for MVP this year. And he said, end quote, I think that with Lamar Jackson in Baltimore, as great as he has been, there's been too many times that he struggles at pivotal moments. So I definitely do. Um, I, I partially agree with that. Because Lamar Jackson is essentially the second coming of Michael Vick, um, just without any of the off-field antics that Vick had. And I think that the, the absurdness and the sheer talent of Jackson can be summed up to his performance against the Vikings. Against the Vikings, Jackson had 266 yards passing and three touchdowns and two interceptions, which is more than Kirk Cousins, who had 187 yards and two TDs. He also had more rushing yards than Dalvin Cook himself with Jackson having 21 carries for 120 yards and Cook having 17 carries for 110 yards. That is absolutely unheard of in today's NFL. No other quarterback is doing what Lamar Jackson is doing right now. This, according to every single media pundit, whether it was ESPN or Fox or whatever, was saying that this was the year that the Ravens are finally going to be figured out. And granted, there have been two games where the Ravens were quote-unquote figured out. The game where they lost to the Raiders and the game where they got blown out and embarrassed by the Bengals. Mm -hmm. so I think that the one thing Lamar Jackson has to do to prove himself to these media pundits and to finally shut everyone up about the debate about whether or not he's elite is to just do well in the playoffs which again excuse me not again which he hasn't been doing like Lamar Lamar's playoff record is the only thing that's really dragging that at this point because in a sense I guess if I want to compare this to NHL reasons, he's kind of like the Toronto Maple Leafs where he'll do great and it's awesome in the regular season. But as soon as he gets to the playoffs, he sputters and he's just not himself again. So I think that once the Ravens get that monkey off their back of the playoffs, and if Lamar can produce in the playoffs like he does in the regular season, then that is going to shut everyone up. And it's finally going to prove that Lamar Jackson is a league quarterback and Stephen A. Smith will hopefully never say that again about Lamar. Here's what I'm going to say on this. Um, if Stephen A. was specifically referring to the playoffs as a whole, 
I can agree. As you mentioned, the playoffs as whole. I agree. Lamar Jackson is not the same quarterback when he goes to the playoffs. I don't know if it's nerves. I don't know if it's, uh, you know, he's coming up against these top tier defenses. But and honestly, I don't even think it's that because the teams he's played in the playoffs are the Chargers and the Titans, and then he played uh, what was it, the Bills. So the Bills had a good defense last year, kind of, but it's better. It was better this year. Um, I don't know. I mean, it, it, playoff wise, I agree. If you're talking about this regular season, I completely disagree because if you look at the Ravens, there have been two games where they've had to come back and go into overtime and guess who's the man who's leading them into that charge. Cause I'm telling you what, it's not going to be, you know, Marquise Brown. It's not going to be any of their running backs because basically their whole running back room has been a walking hospital bill this season, or if not, it's veterans that, you know, the, it's veterans getting touches that is because it's like, Oh, they had thousand yard rushing seasons. Let's give them a chance. No, it's been Lamar Jackson through and through. Lamar Jackson has been incredible this season. Um, if you go and just look at the stats overall uh, in the passing game, he is just inside the top 10 in passing yards uh, with just about 2,200. Um, and then if you look at the rushing game for just about everybody in the NFL, your favorite running back on your favorite NFL team is probably running less yards than Lamar Jackson. He's just outside the top five in yards. He's behind Ezekiel Elliott by 22 yards, and he has uh, 31 less attempts. 22 yards, he's behind Zeke, and he has 31 less attempts. He's behind Mixon by 36 yards, and he's uh, in Mix Mixon has had a grand total of, uh, what is that, 53 more attempts than him. So he's just behind some running backs, and he hasn't even hit the 100, uh, 100 carry mark yet. Like, He's ahead of most of uh, most teams running backs. He's doing, he has more yards than Kamara Jones, uh, you know, Damian Harris, Dalvin cook, uh, obviously McCaffrey, but McCaffrey's been out. Um, Austin Eckler. He has more rushing yards than all of them. Like the only two players that are like clearly better than like Lamar in the running game is Jonathan Taylor, and Nick Chubb, and then technically Derek Henry, but Henry's out right now. So Lamar Jackson is one of the best runners in the NFL. And he's also now there with his passing game too. He has both of them at the same time rather than one over the other. So it feels like the Ravens are really starting to click. And I would definitely highly disagree with the fact of, you know, Lamar not being able to be clutched. I just highly disagree. Um, but to be clear, favorites to win the AFC North, in all honesty, I would probably say yes. I'm still not sold on the Steelers. Uh, and the Browns, I mean, I like the team a lot, and we'll talk about how much I like the team, but I, I don't know if I can confidently say that they're back back yet, um, or at least back enough to be able to come back in the regular season and uh, win the AFC North. Um, but when you're looking at the Baltimore, they've been really solid. Uh, they've had a couple bad games, but, you know, it was the Raiders in week one, and then uh, they had that game where the Bengals stomped on them just a week ago. They got their bad game out the system, kind of like how Dallas got their bad game out the system. I think they're back. And, you know, I, I think this is a really solid team. So I'm, I'm not too concerned for them. I like them for AFC North favorites. And I definitely think that Lamar Jackson's statement was a bit of a joke from Stephen A. Smith with how he's played this year. Uh, moving on to now, uh, the next one with, with Philly and Los Angeles Chargers, 
Does this win over the Philadelphia Eagles put the Los Angeles Chargers right back on track? I would not say that they are essentially right back on track, but the train is starting to heat back up again. After the uh, tough losses of the Ravens and the Patriots, the Chargers desperately needed this win against a struggling to find their identity, I guess you could say, Eagles team. Um, I think that the biggest X factor towards the Chargers and the reason why um, and, the reason, and the reason for them winning this game is Keenan Allen. Um, Mike Williams is showing a lot more of the workload in the, in the uh, first half of, the, of so far the season, through weeks one through five. But Keenan Allen with 12 receiving for 104 yards is what will make the Chargers push to the playoffs more. As I previously stated, the AFC West, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's um, open season. And I don't think the Broncos are a playoff team. I'm just saying they can play spoiler. Um, the AFC West is kind of anyone's game. And I think it's the Chargers to take because of what's going on with the Raiders and the Chiefs and the Broncos just kind of hanging around. Um, beating the Eagles, although they won by three points, is definitely got to be a morale booster. And if I'm uh, Chargers fans right now, I am very happy with the outcome. And I'm very happy Justin Herbert balled out like he did with the roughly 350 yards and two TD performance that he did put up. Um, Austin Eckler as well has, didn't really find his footing for this game as he had 17 carries of 59 yards. But I think that this game did put the Chargers somewhat back on track, but they definitely need to start producing more offense again like they were before to truly, you know, get back into what they were. They do play the Vikings next week, which I think will be a lot tougher of a game than people think. But the Chargers, um, their schedule alternates between tough, hard, tough, hard. So they need to win these games early now to truly, in my opinion, have a chance of making the playoffs. But I would definitely say that this is a feel-good win for the Chargers. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think – I, I do agree with you. I don't think this fully says that the Chargers are on back or, – or, like, right back on track. I think that uh, this Minnesota game is really going to be telling – Really, to me, one of the biggest issues of the Chargers, not even like the Austin Eckler issue of, you know, he was just kind of mad this weekend, but it's the fact of they haven't been able to have Mike Williams and Keenan Allen both go off in the game, as you talked about. Uh, at the beginning of the season, Mike Williams was red hot. It looks like we finally got the Mike Williams that we've been looking for for the past six years uh, that, you know, left Clemson, just kind of became nobody in the NFL. And it looks like he really became like, he was really starting to come to his own under Justin Herbert. But now again, Mike Williams seems to be getting back into this area where he's just seems like he's meh again. And it's kind of concerning because I, I think that for the Chargers team, you've really got to be able to support multiple receivers to be able to do well. I mean, if you look at Mike Williams' most recent games, he's had two catches for five targets in most of them. Like in the last five games, two catches for five targets against the Philadelphia Eagles, two catches for five against the New England Patriots, two for five against the Ravens, eight for 16 against Cleveland um, with 165 yards and two touchdowns, the game where they just absolutely was a, a barn burner of a game for offense. But then one catch for four targets against the Raiders. So again, though we've seen Mike Williams have some really big games this year, he still he hasn't found that consistency. And I think that's really the thing that will start to sell me on LAC being back. But it looks like Keenan Allen is finally starting to get back on track. Like he was starting to get more of the targets after week one um, that he's used to seeing, but now he's getting the yards to accompany that. Um, so is this something where I can say that the charges are right back on track to be the, like as uh, Dan, and I kind of viewed him after the first few weeks, the best team in the AFC West. No, 
it, it, it's not that particularly when Philadelphia is really close and uh, you're still not able to find like Allen or Mike Williams or Eckler for a touchdown. What I am going to say is this is I think if you're able to put things together against Minnesota, and if you're particularly able to both uh, feed Mike Williams and Keenan Allen, I'm going to start to feel a little bit better about this team moving forward. Once you start to have harder games against uh or once they start to have a little bit of harder games, a little bit of harder games this season with some must wins on that schedule. Uh, the final one of this streak here of questions, Nels, um, we're going to a little bit of a mini Nick, uh, Nick streak, getting some questions out here. Uh, a little bit of the Packers in Kansas City. I know you're a bit of a fan of the Packers here. Um, obviously, you know, not a great loss, but granted, you were playing your backup quarterback in Jordan Love. I did want to ask here, did the Packers call the right game against Kansas city? Absolutely not. They, I don't understand what the Packers offense was, was thinking and what they were thinking going against a porous Kansas city defense. AJ Dillon carried the ball eight times for 46 yards and Aaron Jones carried the ball 12 times for 53 yards. If I am the Packers, I am giving Dylan 15 carries and I'm giving Jones 25. I'm not giving Jordan love the ball on every single play or what felt like every single play just for him to blow it, throw it out of bounds or just scramble and not get anything done whatsoever. Jordan love looked terrible. And at this, at the halftime, if I'm Matt LaFleur, I'm looking at myself and I'm saying, okay, we can beat this team. This team is easy is, is not as good as they once were. Everyone knows our offense. Our defense is stout and playing really well against Mahomes and shutting them down. Screw it. Let's run the ball. Let's run them until they can't run anymore. Let's run until A.J. Dillon's massive thunder thighs fall off and Aaron Jones has ran out of Green Bay. So I think that they absolutely blew it. This is a very winnable game. Fortunately, the Packers do get uh, Aaron Rodgers back next week as he's eligible to return to the team on Saturday. But I think that it was a complete and utter failure um, offensive scheming wise by the Packers and they could have been so much more, but I also think that this was kind of an experimental game for the Packers and that they wanted to see what Jordan Love could do, but unfortunately that cost them the win. And I think that they also thought he was going to be a lot better out of the gate when he did not look like an NFL starter. He looked like he still needs a lot more time in the oven. And I'm a little bit concerned if I'm the Packers front office, because if the rumors are true, that Rodgers has gone after the season and Jordan Love is the quarterback, then you're left at a interesting point and an interesting crossroads because Jordan Love, I hope he turns out well and I hope he turns out good for the Packers. This game was not it for him. So definitely a winnable game that they blew. And unfortunately, um, you can't really do much about that one. I'll definitely withhold what I think on what's going to happen to the Packers this offseason with that in mind. Uh, just to leave you with a little bit of hope, it's definitely negative, what I would have had to say. But I, what I will say is this. Um, you're absolutely right um, when you look at it. that like I, I'm in full agreement. Jones should have had 25 touches. Dylan should have had 15. Jordan Love probably shouldn't have thrown the ball more than 20 times. And if you want to test Jordan Love, that's all well and good. But you needed to not only get get it to where they focus on the Kansas City focuses on the run game because their defense is dreadful, um, and you know if if they even try to focus on it, like it's it's not going to do much to stop it. But 
like if Jordan Love was to throw, I mean, I don't know how many targets Devontae Adams had. I think he had eight catches or six catches. Basically, all of his targets should have been to Devontae Adams. That's really how you should have played the game. Uh, just, you know, run out that Kansas City defense and then throw every single pass to Devontae and see how it works. That's that's exactly what I would have done. <laughs> and you guys probably would have won that game. But instead, you guys decided to throw the game into the hands of Jordan Love because you're against the worst defense in the NFL. And Kansas City kept you in it the whole game, but it just didn't work out. And uh, for a team that's looking to do more, that's really not what you should have done. And particularly when you have a, a team with the potential as good as Kansas City, that's a team that you should try to be knocking out of the playoffs. Though so, you know you don't have much of a of a way to be able to help that outside of this game. I don't know. I I consider it to be. Definitely a bad loss. Uh, definitely not what the Packers wanted. Great that you guys will have Rogers back and everything. But, yeah, you should have had a lot more running. You guys should have easily beat Kansas City. And it made my picks worse, so that makes me not happy with the Packers. But whatever. I've, I've been having a decent picks here uh, prior. Uh, to move on now to a little bit of questions here for Nick. Uh, as we're getting closer to wrapping up this uh, the NFL games for this weekend, uh, does losing to Arizona's backups rule out San Francisco in the playoffs for you? Um, you know what, man? I don't know. It, it's 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 tough because you know San Francisco is a team that we saw make it to the Super Bowl no less what two three years ago. Two years and ago. And now they are losing to the one, the only Mike Glennon, the GOAT, MVP. Cool but like. I mean, in all seriousness, in all seriousness, I, it's tough, you know, because, you know, San Francisco, they, you know, after that Super Bowl run, they had high confidence, high hopes, you know, team really good, George Kittle, Debo Samuel, you have Nick Bosa coming off on the edge, you have um, Fred Warner, upcoming star, you have all these star-studded guys, and they couldn't make it happen against, like you said about the the Giants, the uh, just a ragtag team of misfits, nobody fits it's all a weird system and it's I think it in my opinion it does and they have it's like I saw on this one website and honestly me and my friends are like doing some random research they have a 22 percent chance to make the playoffs it, I don't know about you but is that it's not a good number and they have a I, I feel too like they have for me <laughs> it's too high um but um you know they uh they have, I don't know if they – I think they have some tough games coming up on their schedule. And if they're going to handle it like they did it against Arizona, I mean, man, like they, they are looking at a heavy losing streak or a mix in between. But they're not – I in my opinion, they are not playoff contenders in, in any sort. And I, I think it, it hurts them a good bit because I keep on going back to that. But, I mean, when you make it to one of the greatest stages in NFL – and you fall to losing to Mike Glennon and backups of Chase Edmonds, like it's – and, I mean, Arizona called a good game. I mean, they, they called San Francisco right on their back. They had a target out for them, and they were doing good. It's tough. You know, San Francisco, they dropped that game. It, it, I already didn't think – I already didn't see them as playoff contenders, but in my opinion, I feel like it's time for Lance to get some reps in my opinion. I feel like it's time for Lance to step in and get some reps. 
I mean, again, I think you you guys have kind of hit the nails on the head uh, on the head for me for a lot of these. This one's straight nail on the head for me. I mean, look at it. Is as you said, it was the Mary Band of Misfits. Chase Edmonds was out for the game. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins was out for the game. Kyler Murray was out for the game. JJ Watt the week before was announced for out to out, announced to be out for the rest of the season. Like they lost, you know, four crucial players before this game. Oh yeah, um, and. I mean, as you said, I, I haven't considered San Fran to be a playoff team, but, you know, the, their records still put them in and around the wild card. So that's mostly why I want to ask it like that. But um, Colt McCoy only having four incompletions against your team and not having an interception is outrageous. Uh, Colt you let Christian Kirk destroy you. You let James Conner run for almost 100 yards. You let James Conner look almost as good as he did back in, what, 2018 when he was actually good, and he had two rushing touchdowns as well. Like, what, what am I supposed to say other than the fact of this is over for San Fran? Like, you got, you know, you got freaking 13 – or not 13, 10 of your 17 points uh, in the third and fourth quarter when Arizona really just put their foot off the gas – they're up 31 to seven at the third quarter. They didn't need to do anything else. So I'm in complete agreement. I haven't considered this team to be a playoff team, but I think this game alone completely takes them out of playoff contention for me uh, in any regard. But what I'm also going to say is this, which is where I also said you hit the nail on the head and I hundred percent agree with you. I've also been in that camp because Jimmy Garoppolo is not the starting quarterback for the team anymore. It should be Trey Lance. And they haven't transitioned to him. Kyle Shanahan's still wanting to hold on to that Jimmy Garoppolo uh, dream. Whether he's trying to boost the trade value of Garoppolo or not, I don't know. But Garoppolo is just not that guy. He hasn't been that guy. Um, And ever since he kind of uh, came back for Lance, he's just been blah. uh, Including because I was able to watch him on Monday night against my Colts. He looked pathetic against them. He's not a starter anymore. At the very least, he's not a starter for a team that should be considering the playoffs. And Trey Lance has got to get minutes here soon. Otherwise, things I think are going to be a little bit crazy. Chalk San Fran out, and excellent job by uh, Cliff Kingsbury in Arizona to be able to just dominate San Fran at home with, you know, your merry band of misfits. Uh, Following that, though, I think probably the biggest surprise of this weekend uh, the game of Los Angeles Rams versus the Tennessee Titans. I think everyone and their mother put Los Angeles Rams against the Titans. Um, Derrick Henry just went out injured. Vaughn Miller went to the Rams. It's like, this is going to be just, I, I, I said it was going to be a domination against Tennessee. And it was, it was going to be like, you know, I feel, uh, I, I remember I said things along the lines on Friday of like, I feel bad for Tennessee. They're going to be okay after this. Like they're, it's not like they're a bad team, but when they're trying to figure things out, and L.A. just has an incredible team. They're going to whoop them. And boy, was I wrong. And boy, was everyone and their mothers wrong. Because the L.A. Rams lost to the Tennessee Titans in a pretty convincing fashion. Um, again, really being able to score only 10 points in the fourth quarter. Uh, and when, like, by the time they scored those points, the Titans were already up 21-3 to at the end of the uh, first half. Um so the question I really have here um, for you is, is this a, a statement win for the Titans or is this just kind of an embarrassing loss for the Rams? You know, plain and simple, it's both how I see it. I, I think it's both. I think 
that it's a statement win for the Titans all year long. Every single ranking you have ever seen, who's number one? The Rams. Everybody, the Rams, the Rams, the Rams. They have a powerful offense, high motor defense. They're running the right place. Sean McVay is doing very, very good. He's utilizing Matthew Stafford exactly as he should. And they, he's right. They, everybody's right, in my opinion. I feel like that's exactly what's been happening. They're, I mean, they are hitting on all cylinders. I mean, Cooper Cup is doing, I mean, almost like MVP conversation. I mean, like he is, he, they're doing very, very good. How Jerry Rice numbers is ridiculous. Oh yeah, I, I, I did see that stat. I, like he, he's doing, he's insane. And for a guy that was injured, and in my opinion, I have some questions, but he has wiped all of them off the board. But if I, I'm sorry, and I'm, I wish I could have been there Friday to say it, but I have always loved. I had a slight love for Tennessee. I always have. I've always thought of them as scrappy. I've I've loved Ryan and Tannehill since Miami days. I had them with their backs against the wall and it's a statement win. they beat the team that everybody wants to win the Super Bowl. And, you know, right off the bat, you see what the, the, the interception and boom, pick six right in Matthew Stafford's face. It's a, it's, it's tough. And the Titans, I feel like, you know, they showed up, you know, they're everybody, you know, we've mentioned it a lot throughout the podcast, but no Derrick Henry, no problem. They, you know, that they did really well. I mean, they, what they trampled them in total yards tennessee no 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 no, i'm sorry i I messed that up tennessee only had 194 total yards and los angeles had 347 i mean the numbers don't tell the whole story um it's almost about half of los angeles and they still beat them tennessee less first downs so only had 16 to la's 22 but it's the Titans put their foot in the ground and they let everyone on national television know we're not going down just because we're facing the number one team that everyone wants to win the Super Bowl. We're not, we're not going to give up. We're not going away. We're not out just because we just have, we don't have Derrick Henry does not mean that we're just going to roll over and get hit. And for, um, you know, for the Rams, we talk about a lot, you know, Dallas Cowboys, not an issue. This is a big issue for San Francisco. You always talk about, you know, like we always say, momentum and consistency. But, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to be real. I have no idea. I have no idea how to rank this because at a team that's performing as they have, you know, it's 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 tough. I mean, the Titans really did call their number. I keep on saying that. They let them know that they weren't going away. They smoked and, like you said, 21 to 3, and they kind of were just like, all right, we're just going to step off a little bit, let you guys do – whatever you guys want to do. And we'll, we're winning the game regardless. And, you know, I feel like it's not that big of a deal for now, but if we see holes come up and, you know, more losses joint together, I feel like it's going to become a problem. But for now, on my opinion, it's not, it's a really hard loss to fall a little bit from their pedestal that they've been put on, but for now, I don't think it's that much of an issue. However, if we see more arise in the next couple of weeks as the games get more important and the schedule gets maybe a little tougher for them and the road ahead gets longer, I feel like that's going to be something that we need to worry about. But, you know, keeping it to the point, I don't think it's that bad unless, you know, it, we start seeing the holes. Now, I will say in a little bit of favor here for the Rams, in, in fairness to them, they have lost to technically the best team in the NFC and AFC currently. 
both of them at home, which isn't a good look, but they did lose to the best team in both conferences currently. What I will say is this. Um, I 100% agree with you being able to watch the Tennessee Titans team every now and then that this is a gritty team and that's what Vrabel's made them. Um, even with how just horrible their secondary is, which is one of my big points when I said that Rams were going to blow them out. Um, you know, they were still able to like fired uh, really the, the one healthy uh, guy, the lone dog from that secondary from last year, one of the best safeties in the NFL he played played a really good game getting that pick six. Um, I mean, yeah, this team's just gonna fight to the end for Vrabel. Um, he's he's put together kind of a hell of a culture there. Um, and what I'll say is this: is yeah, you're absolutely right. Rams dominated them in yards, and still Tennessee is able to pull it out on top. Surprisingly, with their defense, which has been one of the weaker points of this team, so. This is definitely a statement win for Tennessee. Um, I didn't think they were going to be able to be in this because they didn't have the focal point of their offense in Derrick Henry. And I will say that if they they can't expect to put up that few of offensive yards and win games consistently, they, they certainly cannot expect that. But for the performance that they had for losing Derrick Henry just that past week, it's a statement win for Tennessee to say, we're not out of the playoffs. You cannot look at us small, like lesser than because we lost the key component of our team. We're going to fight until the bitter end to get ourselves in the playoffs, to give Derrick Henry once he's healthy, hopefully he's healthy for the playoffs because that would be their thought process, a chance at a Super Bowl ring because that's been this whole season for them. That's why they traded for Julio Jones. Like they're wanting a Super Bowl desperately and they are not going to go down without a fight. So big statement win for the Tennessee Titans. And it definitely did hurt when I thought that there was a chance we could pull a little bit closer to the Titans. Um, the Colts need, needing still to have, what is it? Five wins to get over them. <laughs> it's wild. <laughs> I, I thought that number was going to go from, uh, what was it? Five to four, but nah, nah. Not this week. No, no, no. Currently it's at four. It went down to three, but. If it did that, that blows. But beyond that, I mean, I, I just have to look at my half toss to the Titans. I don't really hate them. Uh, Titans fans like to keep hating on us and like to keep ragging on our fan base. I've seen it on Twitter, but it's like, oh, oh yeah, yeah. Care. there's in the grand scheme of things, they're still kind of little brother to me. <laughs> but no, I mean, even with that joke aside, I still kind of respect them and big respect to uh, Vrabel and the grit that he puts in this team. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. The last game that we have to talk about here before a little bit of some round out questions on the NFL for both of y'all. Um, last question here with Nels on games is, are the Steelers a better team than we perceive them to be? Um, and I mean, honestly, that's just really the question. Sure, the Bears almost came back, but they still won. So are the Steelers better a better team than they are perceived to be at the beginning of the season? So the no, the, the Steelers are not better than we perceive them, honestly. They barely won the game against the Bears on Monday, and there's a little bit of ref ball included there, but if you ask me, the Steelers are just one more mediocre season have been Big Ben away from a massive rebuild. Ben Roethlisberger's arm is shot. And I don't think anybody who's a Yinzer in Pittsburgh right now doesn't really want to admit that. Najee Harris is really about the only good thing about this offense right now. Ben Roethlisberger has trouble throwing the ball more than 20 yards. It's just constant checkdowns, and it's just not looking too hot. And 
although the Steelers defense is kind of keeping them within these like within these games and keeping them close, they're just not they're they're, they're just really being held down by Big Ben. And unfortunately, um, I don't like him person as a person, but as a player, he is a really like a, he's a good quarterback. He is a very very good quarterback, and he's led these Steelers to a Super Bowl and just consistency over these past few seasons. So um, I think it's his time to go. Najee Harris is definitely stepping up as like the next James Connor in this offense. Their wide receivers and Juju Smith-Schuster and Chase Claypool, they really have to start stepping it up again. Eric Ebron has to start stepping it up, but that all starts with Roethlisberger. And if he's having trouble throwing 15, 20 yards on the field and just constantly goes for checkdowns, then the Steelers are done. So they're not better than, than, they, uh, than we perceive them. And honestly, I think that um, they're a fluke. I mean, I, I tend to agree with that. And when you look at it, the reason why I think that is look at their last four games. Have they won their last four games? Absolutely. They went from one and three to five and three. Very impressive. But they beat the Denver Broncos by eight. And ironically, I would say that that's probably their most impressive win because that was when the, I think that was when the Broncos were three and oh. No, no, the they, Broncos coming off their first loss. So the Broncos were three and one, but still being able to beat the Broncos when they were generally speaking on their high horse, no pun intended, you know, th- that's a good win. Um, but then if you look at the rest of it, Seattle, they had to beat them in overtime at home against Geno Smith, someone who hasn't been an NFL starting quarterback in like four years, not a good look. Uh, beating the uh, a banged up Browns by five and having to do it in the uh, base off a last minute Framuth touchdown in which, I mean, big shout out to Pat Framuth also like he's been really a, a backbone uh, piece here for Big Ben and the Pittsburgh offense. But um, I mean, again, like it, it took them until that fourth quarter to really get anything. They got their two touchdowns there when uh, the Browns were up ten to three going into the third or yeah, they were up 10, they were, they were up, it was a tie game, then they were up 10 to three, um, uh, you know, so I, I just don't think it's an impressive win to beat a banged up Browns, and then for the Bears, the last one, like, it looks like that was actually going to be their first real good win of the streak, they were up 20 to six in the third, going into the fourth quarter, but then they let Justin Fields back into the game, you have a fumble recovery, you have a couple Tarnell Mooney touchdowns, and rather than this game finishing 20 to six, it finishes as 29 to seven, needing a Chris Boswell uh, last second field goal to win the game for them. So, yeah, I'm still kind of with you that though, in I'll talk about this in our next thing, that the Broncos and Steelers are technically speaking playoff contenders now. They're still pretenders. Definitely the Steelers are still pretenders too. And I think once the Steelers really get a good opponent, they, they don't have that in the Lions. So I think the Lions will keep it closer than you expect. Um, but once they start to play the Chargers and the Bengals and the Ravens and honestly, even the Vikings on Thursday night and the Titans, I can see them going on a massive losing streak. I don't think this team really compares to all of them. And the only way that this team is going to be able to stay in it uh, on an offensive standpoint is going to be if Najee Harris pops off. And I just don't know if Najee Harris is going to be able to do so much in a row. So yeah, I'm not sold on this team after that win at all. Um, and next up, we'll be a little bit uh, brief on this one. Um, we, we, we talked about a couple of weeks ago, the teams that we thought were kind of starting to solidify their places in the AFC for the playoffs, which is 10. 
that number is now kind of up to 12 with the Broncos and Steelers both being right in there. Um, but when we're looking at that original list of 10, which originally included the Bills, the Browns, the Bengals, the Chiefs, the Chargers, the Colts, the Raiders, the Patriots, and the Titans, um, what teams are you the most nervous to make the playoffs? So just pick, you know, three teams from those 10. Um, and then really most specifically is uh, when do you think we're going to start to have more concrete answers on who the good teams are in the AFC? We don't have to, to be too long on this, but just what, what are you thinking on those? Um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to keep my answer, uh, you know, pretty brief. I think, um, I feel like there's going to be a lot. There's the t- Talk of everyone around sports is going to be if the Chiefs don't make it. I, if, if the Chiefs don't make it, that's huge because they have been the team to beat the last two years. And with them having a so-so season, and like you've mentioned, a lot of the times in podcasts, their, beat, their defense being poor, you know, they're <coughs> – excuse me, sorry. And uh, they are – they're not being – they're not the team that we've seen in the last couple of years. And, and so – that's going to be huge if they don't make it. And if they do, it's going to be weird seeing them maybe as like a wild card team and just seeing them like in that spot is just weird because you've always seen them dominate. Um, I'm a little worried about the Bengals. Um, I know we talked, kind of talked about it before the podcast, you know, Joe Burrow saying, you know, if we like win the division Super Bowl, and then they've dropped some important games. So it's, I mean, I think the my main two are Chiefs and Bengals. Um, and like for to answer the last part of your question, I feel like how it always has seen for me is you you gotta wait till week 17, 18, because that's when everything starts filtering out, because that's when the game's pressure and meaning behind every snap gets a lot more intense. I mean, that's when like some team winning is another team getting out. So it's a lot of it's a lot of just waiting and seeing what happens and seeing how teams perform because, you know, when you get towards the end of that season, everybody's fighting for a spot, no matter if you're, you know, nine and seven or 17 and oh, it's everybody's fighting for a spot and you just kind of have to see what happens because football is unpredictable and we'll just have to see at the end of the season who wins who and who's out. So yeah, I'd have to really- say the Bengals missing it. I'd have to say the Bengals missing the playoffs would be the biggest thing. Um, I feel like they got a really strong start um, to the beginning of the season, and then now they're kind of tapering off. But again, if the Chiefs don't make it, that's going to be national headlines because of how um, much Mahomes and the team overall have regressed. So I'd just say that the Chiefs and the Bengals um, are definitely two of the teams to keep an eye on, like potentially miss the playoffs as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely with you. Uh, I mean, I am really surprised that – do you really not think, Nick, that there's going to be any separation in the AFC uh, before week 17, week 18? Oh, oh, I didn't even see that. I'm sorry. Um, No, there's definitely no, – no, without a doubt. I, I'm in totally agreement with you. Yeah, no, no, because no, because that's why I was uh, – because you said that it was like week 17, week 18 when you really start to see who the strong teams are. To me personally, when I was thinking about this, I don't think it's going to take too long to start to see the separation – I personally think it's going to be week 11. Now that doesn't mean that there's still not going to be like teams that aren't competing, but I feel like you're really going to start to weed out those teams in here in this, these next four weeks. Um, I know like these next four weeks are really crucial in football. I mean, I was debating even saying up to like week 13, like right before that Christmas time. Um, But like 
that's like we're we're getting I feel like the midseason is definitely the most important. It's really where you'll see your teams falter or not. And that's kind of what my feeling was. So I think these next four like in by week eleven, we're gonna start to have answers of like, oh, the Ravens are the best team in the AFC or oh, the Browns are a playoff contender or oh, the Steelers are god awful. Any of that, those types of things. Um, all AFC North examples now that I think about it. Yeah. So, um, now, on the other hand, I have three teams that make me nervous. We have two in agreement uh, between the three of us, and that's the Chiefs and the Bengals. Um, now, the Bengals going into this season, I don't think anyone thought that they had a great defense. I think their defense has overperformed at the start of the season, but it's now starting to catch up with them. And I don't know if their offense is going to be able to keep up with that. Um, and on top of that, I think they are reaching a harder point of their schedule as well. So the Bengals are definitely concerned. The Chiefs, they have to be by far worse defense in the NFL. And Patrick Mahomes, as I mentioned on, on during this episode, like the stat was like he has like 16 picks in 16 games or something, or like 18 picks in 16, or like he's thrown a pick in the last 16. That's dreadful for someone that's getting, you know, top QB money. Um, that's, that's not what you want at all. It's a huge issue and it's something he needs to fix. I mean, really the one joking thing I can say to fix it is just give Travis Kelsey 10 plus catches a game. Like you used to, that's the one thing that's really surprised me of this Kansas city offense, but I don't know. I mean, maybe when Clyde Edwards Hilaire come back, the team will start to figure out things or maybe they'll actually listen to that advice and give, you know, Travis Kelsey, like, you know, 12 catches on 14 targets in a game and like they'll start with stop missing throws on Travis and really just let him blow up the team. Um, but other than that, like the chiefs are just very concerning, particularly when they aren't able to dominate at arrowhead, which has really been um, like a, a hard place to win in recent years. Uh, but the final team I have in there is my Colts. Uh, and that's just purely based off of record. They're just still behind so many teams um, with being four and five. Now, the good news is, is I think that the, the schedule's kind of a little bit favoring the Colts. Even the hard teams that they're playing, I think, are teams that are beatable. Um, the Cardinals showed against the Packers that they can be beat on the ground. Jonathan Taylor is the best healthy running back in the NFL. Don't, I don't think that's an argument. Um, the, the, the Buccaneers, uh, they aren't beatable on the ground, but they're beatable in the air. Carson Wentz has actually been a top 10 quarterback throughout these first half of the season. He genuinely has been. Um, and I think that Pittman will torch anyone in that Buccaneer secondary, even if Richard Sherman got healthy. I, I don't care. I think he would. So I think the Buccaneers are even beatable. The Bills just showed they're beatable, and we have them not too far off of that Jaguars game. And then what the fourth team is the Patriots. And I think the Patriots needed to wait until the fourth quarter to get separation against the dreadful Panthers. So, I mean, those four games don't even look as bad to me as what they originally did when we, uh, when I talked about it with Dan um, and otherwise, like, I think we still have the Jaguars for a couple games, uh, including this week. Uh, we, I think we have one more against Houston as well. We have the dolphins. So I, I think the Colts are eventually going to get off this list. I think the Colts are still going to make the playoffs, but at this current moment, the Colts are still a bit of a concern, particularly with those four hard teams there. Um, and I, I, I just, I still don't consider the Broncos and Steelers on this list. I, I just don't do it. So, uh, only a few questions left here, uh, for you guys. We're going to start off on, since we're at the mid season, starting to get a little bit of a feeling on our mid season awards. We don't have to be 
too long with this. Uh, you kind of have your explanations as long as you'd uh, as long as you'd like. Uh, we're going to first look at our five members that we had put on the rookie of the year list. And I'll let uh, I think how we'll do it is I'll let Nick. You'll start out for this one. Then Nels will start out for the next one, and then so we'll have Nick and Nels. Then we'll have Nels and Nick, and then I'll fit. I'll just wrap it up for both. All right, man. Sounds good. Um, uh, for this, I mean, for my rookie of the year, I mean, I've always liked him. I love watching him since LSU. Jamar Chase, obviously. I think he's he's my first. Um, I would say I want to put um, uh, Slate. What's his name? Slatener from the Chargers. I would put him at second. Michael Slater, Parker, yeah. my obvious third. If you would ask me at the beginning of the season, I would have put J.C. Horn, but uh, I think he's injured. I, mm, I think yeah, he's, he's injured for the rest of the year. Yeah, so yeah. Um, and then I would put um, my four. My four would be uh, Najee Harris, and then uh, one guy that I've really loved, I've enjoyed watching is um, uh, Jeremiah Owasu Corman. Uh, uh, Koromoa, yep. The, yeah, the, from the Browns, I, I've yep. loved, I've really enjoyed watching him. But those are my top five. I mean, those guys have obviously like been on the watch for me. And whenever they're on the field, they make exciting plays. And for the Slater, I mean, he has held the li- likes of almost the best pass rushers of the league. I mean, Chase Young, all those big, big guys that usually blow by tackles. I mean, he he stands his ground, and I like yep. the grit in him. So that's my top five. What what about you, Nels? My top five, it's pretty similar. Number one, of course, is Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase, it's so funny in the preseason looking back at everyone who was saying, oh, he can't catch. Oh, he's not going to be good. Oh, he's a bust. And for him to just come out and just uh, and rekindle that connection with Joe Burrow like they had at LSU. So he's my number one. Number two, I got to go with Nika Parson. He's been lighting up for the Cowboys. And number three, Najee Harris. I talked highly of him when I mentioned the Steelers and how he was basically the only bright spot about their offense. Um, I think Najee Harris is going to be an absolute stud and he's going to do even more better stuff off the field for the Pittsburgh community. Number four, I got Mac Jones. Mac Jones has really shined, and in my opinion, is one of the um, top QBs to come out of this 2021 draft. And then finally, just Javante Williams. I think Javante Williams is having a very quiet year in regards to all the other rookies and in the rookie of the year conversation. But Javante Williams, I I think he could definitely be a dark horse candidate um, in the upcoming future, just in general, for being a, a, a top five or top ten running back in the league. So that is my top five. A lot of good rookies this year. Um, and I'm very excited to see where the rest of these guys go and uh, what they do in their career. I really like the Javante Williams shout out. And I definitely think he's going to start blowing up here as that midseason passes. As a lot of people kind of expected him to. Um, but I feel like he's he hasn't done quite enough yet for me to be able to put him on that list, uh, nor is North Carolina counterpart uh, Michael Carter. But I feel like they both have a chance to get up there because uh, I think they're both really talented. But we'll see. Um, I'll go from five to one here. Uh, my number five currently on my list is Najee Harris. He's been really impressive. I agree with you, Nels. I think he's the most impressive part of this Pittsburgh offense right now, um, which doesn't have a great O-line and has a, you know, a washed up. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's also a washed up quarterback. Like he's, he's just at the end of his career. Um, and I think that Harris is just really talented and is going to be talented for them or, you know, if he doesn't stay with them for whomever in the future. Uh, but he'll definitely be t- like talented for them for, you know, as long as that rookie deal is. Uh, number four, I have Mac Jones currently. Uh, people could disagree and put him lower just because he hasn't been fully impressive. But to me, he's leading, you know, a little bit of just kind of like a thrown together to, to try to be competitive team by Bill Belichick. 
Um, and he's someone that not many people really expected to be that great. Um, I mean, literally like Dan and I both had him at five uh, in our quarterback prospects. I think Dan was even considering putting him lower than five at some points. Um, just nobody really rated Mac Jones that highly. Uh, definitely, definitely not us. Definitely not like other uh, like pundits and other people who are, you know, talking NFL and the NFL draft, but he's been exactly what Bill Belichick needs of him. He hasn't been outstanding. Like he hasn't, he hasn't had like a streak of games in a row where it's like, wow, he's the future, but he's consistent. And that's really what matters for this Bill Belichick offense is the fact that he is able to move the ball. And the fact that he is able to get at the very least Damian Harris in the position, which Damian Harris has had a pretty decent year uh, thus far. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think Mac Jones has fit into that system really well comparatively to like Cam Newton before him. So that's why I have him at four, three or Sean Slater. I mean, Nick, you basically said everything on Slater. Slater has been incredible. Um, I knew it was going to be a bad move when he slipped to 13, one of the pick draft picks I actually called this past year. Um, but I mean, man, just really exciting uh, season he's had. Number two, Micah Parsons. Uh, he has completely worked out and I know Dan Seibach is thrilled about it. Um, he has been an incredible edge rusher. He's been incredible when he's had to play linebacker for them. He can do just about anything in that front seven. Uh, I mean, let's be, he, he can't be a DT, but beyond, beyond that, he can, he can edge rush and he can cover. He's been absolutely outstanding and he's really, uh, transitioned well from college to the NFL and hopefully he can keep doing that. And then everyone's number one, y'all's number one, our consensus, number one, Jamar Chase, uh, gave us a little bit of a scare in the preseason when he's like, oh, these balls are a little bit harder to catch, yada, yada, yada. Um, but the, he's just been a, a force to be reckoned with ever since. I think he had like a streak of five games in a row where he had a 50-plus yard touchdown. Um, and I know he like he's scored a 50-plus yard touchdown, I think like six or seven games of the like nine they've played. It's ridiculous how many of those he scored. But he's become the number one receiving option in Cincinnati um, and he's really just been huge for Joe Burrow. And I mean, we all, and I think we all still rightfully were concerned with the pick because Joe Burrow needed that protection after his uh, season ending injury last year. And Panay Sewell should have been, uh, should have been that pick there. But now looking at it in hindsight, I mean, sure. The connection with Joe Burrow and Chase were there. We all knew that. But that the connection has really shown up here this season in honestly a shocking way of how good of that connect like uh, how good the connection is this early on. So uh, I think he deserves to be at the number one the, that rookie of the year list. I would be very surprised if he falls off that. And yeah, I mean, I guess the Bengals always have another year to draft offensive linemen. So to get that type of special connection is just you know rare to see. Uh, and we'll start with Nels for this one, as we're going to talk a little bit about the MVP list and who our top five is for that. All right, so starting off at number five on the MVP list, I have to go with Joe Burrow. My opinion, Joe Burrow is having a wonderful season, although he did slip up a little bit against the Browns last week. Um, I think Joe Burrow, if he continues to excel and perform like he is, and just gets he gets better every game. So I'd say he's number five. Number four, Dak Prescott. Um, although I'm not a big Cowboys fan, it's nice to see Dak really back with the Cowboys. Uh, he is the life and heart of their team. And if they go far this year, it'll be because of him or Ezekiel Elliott. But I'm leaning towards Prescott on that. Number three, I have Kyler Murray. Um, 
Kyler Murray is having a wonderful season again, and he is kind of the life and blood of the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, he's using and utilizing all of his weapons at, to his advantage, um, and he really is leading the Cardinals team around and turning their franchise in the right direction. Number two, I'm going to have to go with Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup is having a lights out season and I think is um, a top five wide receiver in the league just based off of the season alone. Um, overall, Cup has always been on the radar of the Rams and on the fantasy radar as well. But this season, he's just exploded and he's having a, easily the greatest season of his career. Um, number one, though, I'm going to have to go with Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson is turning on the Jets this season, whether he's throwing the ball, running the ball, or, or, or flipping into the end zone. And he's my clear-cut favorite to win the MVP right now, um, barring anything happen, happening. Um, I did have Rodgers in this top five list, but after the slip-up um, on the Pat McAfee show and the whole vaccine controversy and debacle, and then uh, missing the Chiefs game against that, I do think that will hurt his odds. And um, that will definitely uh, rub the wrong way in some people's eyes. Reasonable. How about you, Nick? I mean <sighs> – I mean, I, I will say I, I'm gonna I'm just gonna touch on what Nell said. I mean, I completely agree. I on I had Aaron Rodgers in there, but when the times we are in now, and you know, just with COVID and everything, when you violate that heavy, and when you react the way that he did, um, it's it's a really 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 bad look. And the way it hurts the team. I mean, I know how we talked about before the three hundred thousand dollars is like pocket change, but that's a pretty good dive into the money bank so it's it, it's i i wanted i love aaron but it's just i i don't think um i don't think he'll he'll in my opinion i'm not putting him on my list but for my top five i'm putting my five matthew stafford i think he's been outstanding this season i think the move from detroit to los angeles has been great for him um four i'd have to say cooper cup i'm agreeing with nails here i mean he's been outstanding we talked about it earlier Jerry Rice numbers. I mean, he has shown up. He's been Matthew Stafford's number one target. Uh, three, for me, I'd probably have to say somewhere along the lines of um, John, uh, Tom Brady. Uh, I think, you know, even at what, 43, 44 years old, he is still producing. He is the same guy we saw beat all these teams, seven rings. He's still the guy. Number two, Josh Allen. Um, gunslinger, in my opinion, he's doing great this season. Slip up against the Jags. That's once in a lifetime for me. That was the weirdest game I have ever witnessed my entire life. But I think he is my number two. And I'm going to have to go with Nels here and say that Lamar Jackson is my number one. Um, stats we talked about earlier. I mean, he's come back from behind in unimaginable like types of ways I mean you've seen him just dominate in those fourth and third quarters so that he is my clear-cut number one like Nell said I uh, hope that nothing happens for the rest of the season but as for now I think I think we're good now I do want to give a little bit of a shout out here um uh on on my number three uh, on my uh MVP list um and I, I do want to talk about Derek Carr a little bit. I originally had him on this list, and it's kind of because uh, the things you've talked about, Nick, that he's kind of in that lifeblood of Las Vegas. And I, I looked at it for an MVP standpoint, not only on the field, but off the field efforts to help his team. And he's certainly done all of that. But 
you know, I mean, I, I didn't dive probably as much in the stats as I wanted to. I dived into stats, but I probably should have dived a little bit more because I would have seen some more stuff there from Carr that would have maybe say, Yeesh. so the car I think should be on like in and around that list would definitely be in my top 10. He's not going to be in my top five. Uh, top five though, I'm going to start off with Matthew Stafford uh, as Nels did. Um, Matthew Stafford has been incredible or actually not as Nels did as you did, Nick. Um, Matthew Stafford has been incredible this season. Great transition from Detroit. He's perfect fit there alongside Sean McVay. Um, and it's exactly what, uh, this team's needed offensively. Um, it's just Matthew Stafford's really got put together in that, those bigger games and because he wasn't able to, um, you know, recently. So that, that's a little bit of concern for me, but Stafford five. Four, I'm early on this one. I'm early. This is going to sound biased, but it's going to be Jonathan Taylor at four. And the reason I say Jonathan Taylor at four is because he's genuinely the lifeblood of the Colts offense. Carson Wentz has been great. Um, I've I've talked about his being great, and I've talked about people should not be talking about him as like this mess anymore because he really hasn't been an indie. Um, but Jonathan Taylor, if you look at him, man, uh, you know, e- even when Derrick Henry was healthy, he was averaging 1.6 yards more uh, per carry than he was. He has um, – Two touchdowns shy of him in the in the running game. He has eight touchdowns, but overall this season on 140 touches, he has 821 yards. You know, uh, I, I honestly could see him breaking a thousand yards um, against Jacksonville this coming weekend uh, after his performances against like Houston and New York. Um, he's just been absolutely outstanding this year. And as I said, this might be early to throw him on because. For Derrick Henry, it would have made sense with the stats he had, and he was just kind of outpacing everybody. Jonathan Taylor is outpacing a lot of players, but not like fully. Like Nick Chubb isn't too far behind, but I still personally think he needs to go here because, I mean, even on top of that, the one other thing I'll add is that he's also been solid in the passing game, and that's not something that you could have said coming out of Wisconsin was going to happen. That's not something you could have predicted to happen. But it's happened, and it's happened um, here in India. It's happened under Frank Reich, and I think that Jonathan Taylor deserves a lot of love for that. Maybe he should have been my five, but I'm going to put him at four. Uh, number three, I'm going to have Tom Brady. Uh, I mean, you know, Tom has been great this year. Uh, 25 touchdowns for five interceptions. The team's seven and two. He's uh, up there in the passing list for yards at number two on the season, just behind Matthew Stafford. Um, he's been great. He's the leader of that offense. Uh, now I will say Leonard Fournette has been able to figure out some stuff this year. So now that he has a running game, maybe that'll cut him down a little bit because he, he's the light, he's lifeblood of the team, but like, you know, maybe Fournette's going to start having some great games here. Um, but I, I, I digress. I, I think Brady deserves to be in the top five. He's the goat. So put him up there at number two, uh, Nels and I agree on this. I have Cooper cup. Uh, he's outpacing uh, everyone behind him right now in receiving yards. And I mean, I don't know if it's yards per reception as well. Um, actually, definitely not yards per reception, but he's definitely outpacing them in touchdowns, having 10 touchdowns. Um, he's just been absolutely outstanding. He's putting up basically Jerry Rice numbers and Jerry Rice uh, for anyone that's young listening to this is in having done too much football research. He's one of the best wide receivers of all time. Um, like it looks like he could potentially break Jerry Rice's receiving yards record at this rate. Uh, he's been just absolutely absurd 
for the Rams, and he's had such an amazing connection with Stafford. Um, that I mean, you can honestly say that he's been the focal point of that team. I mean, literally, if you go and look at Matthew Stafford's passing stats, he's thrown for 2,771 yards. Cooper Cup has received 1,019 of those. Like, he's not too far off of receiving half of Matthew Stafford's yards, let alone being on pace for possibly breaking Jerry Rice's record. You've got to have him on that top five list right now. And at number one, Nelson and I also agree, and it's Lamar Jackson. Like, I I said it on during the show – um, he's outpacing most of your favorite team's running backs. Uh, and on top of that, he's also inside the top 10 for passing yards. Um, and he is, I think, a game behind to some. Yeah, he's, he's a game behind to, like, Joe Burrow and Pat Mahomes and Matt Stafford. So he might start catching up there a little bit. But he's been really good on both sides of the ball um, or, or at both facets of um, his game this season. And I don't see that slowing down. He's been solid, and he's on a team that is, you know, reasonably speaking, one of the favorites for the AFC again. So Lamar Jackson, to me, the number one bar none. And, like, you'll have to see some special performances for someone else to be up there. Uh, The last question here for both of you now is that um, we're not going to really be talking about playoff teams locking yet. Because Dan and I are going to need to really, I think we, he and I are going to lock in playoff teams here soon, uh, as we're just about that halfway point of the season. But here's what I do want to ask you guys: What two teams out of each conference do you think have the best chance of making the Super Bowl? Uh, I'll actually lead out on this one for y'all. The teams I'm going to list here for the AFC and NFC are the Browns and the Bills. I've been high on the Browns all year. I've considered them a dark horse for a while. I think that Bengals game is not a one-off. I think they're going to really just start growing from there. And the Bills, good offense, good defense. I think still the best team in the AFC. Um, Yeah, I don't think that the Jaguars game is going to break them. And then the NFC, I have the Rams and the Buccaneers still. Yeah, it's surprising I don't have the Cardinals with them being the best team in the NFL NFL currently uh, record-wise, but the Rams have been absolutely incredible. They have a solid defense. They have a solid offense. They just need to put it together against those huge teams like the Titans and the Cardinals. Um, but, you know, as I said, they've only lost the Titans and the Cardinals, who are the two best teams in the NFC and AFC, respectively, record-wise. So they've, they've, only, they've only lost the best. And then in my regards- yo, my, I forgot I wasn't on mute, bro. <laughs> Yeah, I, so mean, I, I see how you feel the Rams, but how about the Buccaneers? No. Tom Brady uh, in the Bucks just won the Super Bowl last year. He's the GOAT. Um, and sure, their secondary has been a struggle, but I mean, even when a, a part of their team struggled last year during the playoffs, they still won the Super Bowl. Um, and if you think about it, even like this as well, the Buccaneers got off to a slow start last year and then just got really good on their defense. So maybe that's going to be the same case this year. I don't know if some of those corners are going to be coming back uh, and getting healthy um, towards the end of the season. I don't know that aspect. But overall, I think as this team's going to start to get more and more momentum and get more and more wins, I think that defense will start to become more competent and thus being one of the best teams in the NFC. Um, I'm, I deeply apologize. I had no idea. I thought I was on you. Anywho. You're all good, uh, that, was, that was funny. You're all good. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> I got to say my top three from the NFC um, easily. I mean, uh, I'm not being biased here when I say it. I think uh, if Aaron Rodgers can come back and perform exactly how he was doing, whatever. Um, 
uh, I say uh, Packers, Cardinals, and I want to say Bucks and um, uh, the Ram. No, the Rams are and the Rams are NFC. Um, but those are my teams. And then for AFC, I will say I'm going along with your pick for the Browns. I feel like they are a dark horse. I think like I think if they can continue to do how they were doing, you know, last year and carry on that momentum and, you know, carry the momentum from their last win against the Bengals. I feel like they're going to be very good. I'd say the Ravens for sure, Super Bowl. Um, I think um, – wait, are we on – oh, okay. I got confused. I'm sorry. Um, but, yeah, um, I, I think I'm going to have to agree with, like, most of your picks from the uh, AFC as well. I think that if they – if those teams can get – they get to the playoffs and they and they perform how we expect them to. I think that we should have a very interesting playoff watching this year. I feel like the playoffs are going to be very good, in my opinion. I don't know. Me and my friends talk about it. I think that there's a lot of teams that are in that mixed bag of jumbles where they you don't really know. And if I think we're going to see some a lot of exciting performances from a lot of really good players. So to wrap things up, AFC, I think for sure it's got to be the Bills. The Bills are going to turn it around. They're going to learn from their mistakes against Jacksonville, and I think they have a good shot at the Super Bowl. But I do the Ravens as well. If Lamar Jackson keep up his production and, you know, proven to the haters and the doubters that he is, uh, you know, able to produce in the playoffs, then I think it's either the Ravens or the Bills on the AFC side. From the NFC side, if Rodgers can return and just brush off the scrutiny and save all that drama for this offseason, which is a Packers fan, kind of imagine how that's going to go. I think <laughs> oh, that it's, it's a good shot that the Packers are going to be able to do it. Bro, Colts. But hmm. I'm, I'm going to go spoiler here. I think the Cowboys could end up in the Super Bowl this year. I could see I'm going, I'm, I'm going, I'm going out of left field because. And only because Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott, along with, sorry, Dak Prescott, Ezekiel Elliott, and Amari Cooper, along with CeeDee Lamb if Cooper goes down. That three, that, that triple threat right there, is one of the most underrated triple threats in the NFL. And I think it's in the top five. The Rodgers, Jones, and Adams connection is still the best. It's still the best three in the NFL by far. But if the Colts, or sorry, if the Cowboys, yeah, Colby, you got me. You got me thinking about the Colts now. That Carson Wentz saw them. If the Cowboys can keep up their production, brush the Broncos off, and, and learn from their mistakes and move on, their defense remains stout and their offense remains as potent as, as it has been before. I think they have a good shot of making the Super Bowl this year, and that scares me a little bit because I cannot imagine how all the Cowboys fans are going to they're going to lose it. They're going to party like it's the '90s again. So oh those God. are my picks. How about so, them boys, I, man? Yeah. How about them? I mean, uh, uh, from what hey, from what I, from what I've heard, apparently the last time the Cowboys won a Super Bowl was when like Milwaukee did something in the NBA. Like I think they made the finals and Atlanta won the World Series. I don't know. I heard some weird thing about it. I don't, maybe it was a joke, but still, I digress. <laughs> <laughs> that that's that's what I heard. That's what I heard. So um. I don't hate those on the fact that you threw out your own team there, Nels. No, no shame, no shame. But I, I, I can also respect having the Packers out there. Um, but with that being said, um, 
this has been a very long, very a lot of questions, but a very enjoyable episode of the 3304 Sports Podcast. Uh, thank you again to Nick Royden and Nels Williams for coming on as our guest hosts. Gentlemen, is, is there anything else you want to say in closing remarks? Nah, man, I ain't got anything about you, Nels. All right, thanks so much for having me on, and uh, I apologize for the internet problems. Hope to see, hope to see you too, Colby. And uh, anytime you need NHL help, you know who to call. Oh yeah, no, hey, I, I might be giving you some calls shortly here because I have no idea what to do with this sticking a puck on ice, man. I'm going to be for real with you, but um, no, nah, man, it was a pleasure. Thanks you guys for having me. I know it's my first time. I might have been a little rusty, rough around the edges, but no, I'm be happy to talk to you guys. I'm happy to come back here again. It was it was really fun. I enjoyed it a lot, man. Yeah, man, it's a pleasure to have both of y'all on. Uh, uh, and you know, just big props all around. It's been a fun episode. And yeah, with that, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. And we have the Carter Hill episode that'll be coming out soon this week. And on top of that, we will also have the Friday episode. And then after that, we will be back to uh, the regularly scheduled programming. But again, thank you to the two guest hosts that came on this week. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. Thank you for listening to the 3304 Sports Podcast. All right.